You ever go to uh, hockey games in Canada? You ever go to NHL games or amateur games or what? I've been to one. Been to Oilers game. One NHL game your whole life? Yeah, I hunt for a living, so <laughs> I don't get a whole lot of TV time. But went to one actually uh, in Edmonton. Oilers played. Uh, they didn't win the game, but uh, it was definitely entertaining. I love watching the playoffs though. Were they playing um, an American team or a fellow Canadian team? Do you remember? Yeah, there was an American team. So at the beginning, was it the Canadian national anthem and the American national anthem at the same time? Did you did you know the words to both of them? Yeah, I probably know the words to both of them, and it was the, that order. Did you really? Yeah. You really can sing them both, huh? At least the lyric, the, the main line, anyway. Really? <laughs> <laughs> so, you, you, do you know the first line of the American national anthem? Oh man! Oh, say can you see? There you go. Yeah. Look at you. Here it goes. And so, being a, a professional outfitter in Alberta, where you are, I mean, we're we're talking. Give me an idea ge- geographically. You're northeast of Edmonton. Would yeah. it be northeast? About how many miles yeah. or kilometers? Clicks, I think Clicks. you call them. We're about 300 kilometers, 280, straight east of Edmonton. So we're right on the Saskatchewan, Alberta border, right where the boreal forest meets the farmland. So it's geologically just prime habitat for wildlife. And in every aspect, whether it be the waterfowl, the first crops they see right out of the tundra, or the big bush bucks that get to see the first alfalfa fields they ever see. So, and uh, yeah. So you, you do the, you say that about the geographical makeup of that area. And when we drove into it, you know, I was kind of used to it because I've spent quite a bit of time just across the border in Saskatchewan in the area of Paradise Hill with Grant Kuypers and the guy, the boys up there at Buck Paradise North, Buck Paradise South. Um, it's kind of the same layout of the country, but it does not look ducky. It doesn't look goosey. When you get a little bit south of there, and you get towards the river, the Saskatchewan River, and south of there towards the Battlefords and stuff, you know, that, it looks ducky. It gets duckier and goosier. But up there, I mean, it looks like wolf country, bear country, giant whitetail country. And, I, and, and you specialize in all of that, right? So before we go any further into the waterfowl, you have a, a key area to where you told me in the last 48 hours that pretty much within a 10-mile radius of your house where you and your family live, your wife and your three daughters, and your lodge, you can kill monster bear, monster whitetail, and monster wolves. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's all right there. You know, you mentioned that it, the ducky area and what it looks like, it's kind of an uh, interesting statement. Uh, we, you know, we kind of set the bar in the waterfowl area. Um, the one of the first waterfowlers in, the, in that northern part. And uh, so, you know, when most people think waterfowl, they're thinking that flat land, big, wide, big grain fields, and so on and so forth. You know, they're not used to seeing a 160-acre field surrounded in bush, you know. And uh, them them ducks and the geese, I'll tell you, that's the first fields they see, you know, and they land there and they stop over for, you know, six to eight weeks. And the hunting is just absolute paradise. Right, I get that. You, I mean, you have, when the birds leave the tundra, their breeding grounds, and they start their southern, you know, their their migration, they call it, they come over that bush country, and it's just thick, thick bush. They don't see much water. They're not seeing any agriculture. They're seeing tundra. They're seeing trees. They're seeing rock bluffs. They're seeing where those big deer and those big wolves and those big bear live. And then all of a sudden, they they come over that last little tree line, and it opens up. There is still some pockets of those trees in that bush, like you're saying, but mixed in between them, amongst them, 
our peas and wheat and other, you know, crops and food that's going to benefit a, a duck or a goose. Absolutely. And it's, you know, and it's rich, the, the grain and the, the peas and all that stuff grow very well, the black soil we have. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the same challenge you have when you're out scouting, you'll be driving around and you see all bush and next thing you know, you see a gap in the trees and there's a pea field in the back there and it's just stacked stacked and they just see him dropping over the trees did you grow up in that area that part of alberta yeah born and raised right right there um i was born just a little south of there in uh, in saskatchewan just across the border but uh, uh right after i was born pretty well in bonneville coal lake my whole life so you got bonneville and coal lake in that area so geographically again clay explain it to me that you have you fly into Edmonton and you get in a car and you drive straight east. There's no northward movement at all. It's straight east of Edmonton. Yeah, you betcha. You basically draw a straight line east and uh, you'll run right into Bonneville, Alberta, if you will. So would Edmonton be considered central Alberta or northern Alberta? It's central. It's central uh, Alberta, Edmonton itself. You know, we're, we're northeast central Alberta. You know, uh, there's a lot of land above us and there's a lot of land below us. But the land above, like we just talked about, is that bush country. That's solid bush, actually, right from Cold Lake on all the way up to the tundra. She's just nothing but boil forest. So when you come from Saskatchewan when you're a kid and you're you're just hanging around the house, are you seeing the amount of ducks and geese in that area that you do now? Has it always been that way to where there's been prime agriculture or has it changed in your in your thirty year thirty five years of being alive? In my whole my whole life being alive chasing geese and, and growing up and you know with dad hunting geese and so on and so forth there's always been an abundance of uh, waterfowl um, I would say you know everything cycles a little touch here and there but uh, the ducks it's always been you know grandpa and all them always told stories about how they used to hunt ducks back then and you know it was endless endless ducks so you don't you don't have the aspirations of chasing ducks and geese ducks mainly that's what i've been told is said a lot in canada like you guys live in the heartland you know like the prime spot for waterfowl hunting to the point to where thousands of american duck and goose hunters every year travel northward to begin their season you know there is an early goose season in america there's an early blue wing teal season down here mainly in the central or the mississippi flyway but for the most part a lot of americans with their anticipation and their readiness level would begin the season at the top of the migration migratory route up in Canada, whether it was Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, somewhere in those four would be the main with two. I think the main two would be Alberta and Saskatchewan for sure. But locals don't chase ducks up there. Some locals chase geese, not many, but I don't, I've never understood that. Is it just something like they're, they're just like a nuisance where people are just like, they look, they're flies to you? You know, that's interesting because that's a very true statement. It's, it's just, I don't know, the locals don't seem to get interested. You know, there's the odd guy for sure. But, you know, overall, there's not a lot of locals that get out there and say, you know what, hey, let's just go shoot some ducks today. Um, you know, they're, they're more primary if there's a good field of geese, yeah. you know, and, uh, and that, that's what they're looking for, right? But a duck, man, not too many people are looking for the ducks. Um, they like shooting those big, long-winged, greater Canada geese. But for the most part, they like shooting some something with bone on the head, like a moose, oh yeah, or a mule deer, or a white-tailed deer, or a bear, right? Hey, listen, I, mean, if, I know a bear doesn't have any horns yeah. on its head, but they're, they're after the big game mainly yeah. if you're a local. Yeah, if if there's a big game season in, there's no there's no waterfowl hunting taking place unless you know by the outfitter. That's always amazed me. Everybody, Chad Belding again with another episode of This Life Ain't for Everybody podcast, talking to one of my buddies, Mister Clay Charlton from north of the border. 
the province of Alberta, Canada. He owns Take em Outfitters, like we've been talking about up there. I think it's a little bit northeast, but he's saying just east of Edmonton, Alberta, Take em Outfitters. His lovely wife, Crystal, their three daughters, hosted us last year on an awesome five-day experience up in what we called the uh, the Duck Bush Company and, or country. And it was, it was just a, a great experience, great camaraderie. The friends that were up there from Louisiana, the Cajuns cooking gumbo and etouffee, and the the jokes and the smiles and the camp life that was awesome but then the scouting and the anticipation of the amount of birds that we were seeing in the area it blew our mind the the ducks building up in pea fields and wheat fields the canada geese the greater canada geese and the opportunities that we had i mean it was no joke it was a it was considered kind of late for the canadian waterfowl season we were up there like october 9th through the 15th of 2017 and it was unbelievable shooting and it was barn burner shooting in our opinion but clay says it's even better you know which we've all seen it in canada how good it can be but you know from september until that time is is strong too right clay? yeah it's it's lights out in uh, the months of september uh you got you got all the the local birds on, on top of the migrating geese so uh she's a slam dunk in september october's great hunting as well you get a lot of color in september or october as well so it's it's enjoyable for everybody i like to see the little green heads out there you know more so than just the brown ducks but uh yeah, it's just a great shoot so take me through it though and i learned a little bit about this on our visit up there last fall you are working in the oil field through your 20s you you ha- you get married at a young age you've been married i think what 12 years now 18, uh, 16 years 16 years so you get married when you're 22 years old about there yeah exactly you have a daughter your oldest daughter is what right 17 now? so you i mean you have a kid as soon as you're married yeah pretty much before before, before. <laughs> and so you're you're a young man raising a family and you're working in the oil field which takes time away from the family yep. you're on the you'll go for 7 10 15 day periods at a time right yeah absolutely there's you know there's times i come home every night but there's times you and see the kids or you know basically the wife even for 2 3 days cuz you get back late at night and get gone in the morning right before the sun's up so it was a it was a full time gig um she's you know, she's all out and, uh, she was a lot of work. You know, we started to take mo fitters in 2007. I was 27 years old. Um, and it was a lot of hard work between that, you know, you never had a day off. You either in the oil patch or you were guiding or you're scouting or you're preparing or you're back to work again. So, um, but it was love passion. So that was 2007 and not long after that, you decided to leave the oil field and make this a, a full-time gig. And when did that happen? And that was about 2012, 2013. Um, we got to the point where we had to make a decision. It had to be one or the other. We were getting too large in the outfitting. Um, I was moving up the ladder in the oil patch. They wanted me to commit a little more time of my time, you know, to the business. And so my wife and I made a uh, decision to move forward with take oil fitters. And you haven't looked back since? Absolutely not. We love what we do. And it, I mean, it could have fell apart in the first week. It could have been a complete debacle to where now you're out of a job in the oil field. Chances are you might be able to get it back. Chances are you might not get it back. Yep. Your family's relying on you. By this time, you have three daughters now, right? Yeah, teenage daughters. No, but by that time in 2000, <laughs> when you're starting the yeah. company, you're, yeah. you're, I mean, you have three daughters. Yeah. And so you're saying, hey, I'm going to go full time at this and become a, a destination outfitter that yeah. can take care of anybody for... Give me your main hunts that you offer. You know, we, we our main hunts are our waterfowl, ducks and geese, and then we got our whitetail and giant whitetails, um, black bears, some of the best bear hunting in the, bar none in the world. Uh, and our wolf hunting. Our wolf hunting is very hands-on. Um, we don't run a lot of hunters, but we run quality hunts. It keeps our success rate up to that, you know, 65 to 70% is what I like to maintain. Um, and it's, you know, every hunter that comes to the door 
is something that you know they dream of every day that before they get to this is what we want to have and our trophy and someone's fourth quality hunt and that's what we offer is there such thing as a spot and stock bear hunt in canada absolutely there's spot and stock further west so on where the grizzlies you know there's a little more grizzly you're not allowed to bait so it's primary all spot and stock little different uh different type of hunting for sure um it's you know it's definitely heart pounding spot and stock anything is always exhilarating so it's just a different aspect of hunting um where we are we got too much boy forest it's really tough to spot and stock she's this thick bush so that that's really the reason why and a lot of people look at uh a video or a TV televised hunt of a bear hunt, archery hunt. You're up in a little stand. You got a big barrel down, which you guys call your bait. You guys are consistently filling that bait. I want to know what's in that barrel in a minute, but you're sitting there and those bears are coming there because of that bait. Without that bait, without that ability, without that legal means of baiting and getting those bears to come there. And it's for whitetail too, right? No, no we you can't, can't bait in what? But in Saskatchewan, you can. Correct. So in Alberta, you can't, but... Those bears are coming to that bait. Yes, absolutely. You, the chances of seeing a black bear in that part of Canada in that thick boreal forest, there's just no. There, odds are pretty low, right? Well, for example, uh, I lived there my whole life. In a year, on a, on a twelve month basis, to see, you know, to see whitetail consistently every day is is just common. There's times you'll see a hundred deer in the, on a short drive. Now, compare that to the black bear in a year 12 month basis you might see one maybe two black bear in a season as you're just moseying around doing your own thing scouting so on and so forth they are super shy and they stay in the timber they stay i wonder why it'd be really interesting to understand why a bear would not come out into that open pea field or into that open wheat field or into that opening and you know chase maybe they're, they're better hunters when they can when they can hide yeah. and maneuver around those trees and and I, I don't know. I mean, it'd be, it's very interesting to me, that part of the Canadian bear hunting, because I've been guilty of saying that, like, man, I don't know how I feel about shooting a bear eating cereal. But I also am on the other side of predator management, population yeah. management, wildlife management, and the means that you need to do that to take a few of those bears out of the ecosystem every year, because there's thousands of bears in that part of the country. You got to get them in there to kill them to Absolutely. manage them and to do that you have to bait yeah what is in that barrel mainly what give me some of the things y'all put bait with we cereal as you said we like to run a lot of oats um it's primary they 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 naturally they love to you know in the fall when you see bears and you want to see a bear you know they are coming to an oat field and there's times you'll see 10 15 bears in an oat field and they'll lay it down to damage it and they'll, they'll destruct it um but yeah we run a lot of oats uh it's one of the bears high fat content so you know it helps them get through a, a long winter when they hit the ground running on the spring so uh a lot of beavers as well they uh a lot of high protein there as well they love that beaver you bait with beaver absolutely yeah. so you're trapping beaver and then you're baiting with it well yeah i trap some beaver i don't got a whole lot of time anymore to do that so and for the amount of beavers we're running a couple hundred um i got some trappers that uh you know once they're done with this, the pelts and whatnot i get the carcass yeah in what part of the beaver are you using to, to bait a black bear? The whole carcass, yeah. Really? Yeah, but it has to be skinned. So so the skin goes to the fur trade. You take the guts and the bones and everything else. Yeah, whole animal. Yeah. The whole animal. Yeah, it works out really well. Yeah, you put them in a tree there. and that be you, you tie a beaver in a tree on an active bait, and that's the first thing they'll come to, and that's the first thing they eat, and they'll eat that whole beaver in front of you in five minutes. Really? Yeah. Wait, so you, you skin the beaver... And then you hang the entire carcass, gut still intact, because you don't, I mean, you don't, you're not cutting over the stomach and gutting it when you no. skin it. You don't have to do that. 
So he's hanging from a tree, bleeding out. And that's what the bear smells, and that's what brings it gets his senses going. Yeah, he, you know, we, we try to feed a frozen beaver. It takes a little longer for him to eat in five minutes. It might take him 20 minutes to eat that frozen beaver. But, yes, we put it in, pull it upside down in a five-gallon bucket upside down so the birds can't get at it. And, uh, and then the bear comes along, and, and he works at it, and he can eat that beaver very quickly. What percentage of your bear hunters are from America? I take all my, well, I would say 95% of all my customers come from the USA. In all of your hunts? Yeah. So a guy comes up there this year. Is he by himself? Is bear camp full of several individuals? Can you book a group? How does bear season work? We try to get everybody that come up there to bring in, you know, whatever group. The bigger the group they have, up to six guys, they got to lodge themselves. Uh, if you got a, you know, you come in you and your family or your dad or your brother, friend, whatever. I mean, generally there's to be two or three groups of that um, and mingle together. And, and it works out really well. So you get a bear, you kill him, you get the four-wheeler in there, the side-by-side, you pick him up, you take a picture with him, you skin him out, and then what do you do with the meat? Are you guys throwing that on the trigger or the trigger like you call it, or are there recipes that you can utilize to make bear appetizing? Do you eat bear? Hey, bear is fabulous, um, especially on the trigger. I cook anything on that trigger. It's on. You've cooked bear on a trigger? Yes. What, a trigger? Trigger. Trigger. <laughs> 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 hey, that's innovation right there. That, that's, a, that's an awesome machine. And you're cooking on the Pro 34 that we brought up there for the hunt, and you wouldn't let me take it home, which was kind of <laughs> weird. I was like, I'm going to load up now. And you're like, well, you're not loading that up. And, yeah, and your wife has got me at gunpoint. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> She's yeah. like, you're not taking that. But you're being honest. Y'all cook bear. Yeah, absolutely. Tenderloin, backstraps. Backstraps. And the hindquarters are really good on a black bear. Um, kind of like a pork ham, you know, and on, especially on a, anything that you can smoke with. Um, you, it's really hard to tell the difference between that and and. Uh, and in, in, in pork really yeah so you do a bunch like a, you do pulled pork with it in a crock pot or do you you just throw it on the traeger and you're and you cook like a pork butt or yeah kind of like wrapped in bacon you kind of you know you marinate it in your rub and, and throw it on that traeger i mean it's just fabulous your family eats bear yes not really? a lot we don't eat a whole lot of it but we uh, a lot of the customers will you know they they want to take their bear meat home with them so they like an american will Claim the bear meat also and travel back to Abs- the states with it. Absolutely. I've yeah. heard of some people eating it. I've you know, like Stephen Rennell and some of the guys on the meat eater crew and that they've they've talked about eating bear. I've never personally eaten it. I've eaten mountain lion. Um I've that's probably would be the only predator that would be you know, considered a predator that I've ever eaten. I've never eaten coyote. I know people have said that I don't think I would ever eat a coyote. I don't think yeah. I'd ever eat a bobcat or there's no way I'd eat, you know, rodents, you know, skunks or those kind of predators like that. But I don't know. Maybe maybe there is a part of that meat, that body or that meat that is appetizer that would be worth preparing. But to me, it just seems like bears are a little bit different. Bears aren't 100% carnivore, right? They eat a lot of berries and a lot of vegetables. I would say bears more like 90% vegetarian. So, uh, that, yeah, that's probably what gives, you know, some of that meat the flavor. They're eating a lot of sweet sugars and then you guys are feeding them honey and oh and, yeah and, and they, they're eating licorice and, i mean they're they trail mix these guys get they get it all but yeah bear loves uh vegetation roots frogs uh stuff like this um very seldomly do they you know uh get wild meat themselves unless you know they're getting a baby moose or a baby deer uh stuff like that in the spring but other than that you know they eat a lot of grasses roots uh berries you know etc you know because they're lazy and the bears are very lazy animal they're not a very energetic you know, they don't want to chase anything. They don't have to work for it. They just want to lay down and eat it. And that's hence the reason why they wait for that 
Yep. Tub to be filled back up. Oh yeah, they wait. So you got you got baiting legally legal baiting for bears in yep. the, in in Alberta now. You also offer, and I would say, you know, you hear the, the term world class, but you guys have some legitimate whitetail hunting in that part of the, the world. Yeah. But it's not baiting. So a guy goes up there, he, like my buddy that you talked to yesterday from California, he just booked three whitetail hunts with you. What time of the year does that take place? And what's a normal, you know, what, what's the experience like? If you put a tree stand up, are you scouting? Are you just hunting paths that the deer use? Or are you just praying that you're in the right spot that day and sitting in a ground blind with a rifle? What, what happens on a whitetail hunt? Well, you know, that's the benefit of being a full-time outfitter. Uh, we never stop scouting, whether it be, you know, bears, um, whitetail, or, or, you know, uh, waterfowl. Actually, the other day, I just took a drive out looking at the crops uh for peas and the barley see how it was all looking after a good rain but so the whitetail we run trail cameras you know just about year round uh we're we're shed hunting year round um you know and and then by the time the fall season goes around we got some good hard horn pictures of some good deer uh we get out there with the with the stands get them you know set up in an area where we got a vulnerable uh, exposure point for these deer in the bush country um and they're moving fast they're you know they're in full rut you sitting there if you're playing on your phone playing video games, you probably, uh, your success rate's going to be a little lower than the guy that's, you know, looking left, looking right, you know, paying attention. But uh, the, when the quality is there, uh, we're killing 160 plus inch deer uh, average every week. Uh, it's, it's a paradise. There's, there's whitetail in there that I've scored that are in the 240s, 250s. You, you've harvested? No, I've scored. Really? Yeah. The guys have brought to you to score? Yeah, local boys in the area. We score. I score one of the biggest horn shows in uh, between Saskatchewan and Alberta. Actually, I think it is the biggest horn show in December uh, for whitetail, uh, mule, deer, elk, and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, so the local guys bring these heads in there, and, and I get the pleasure to put my hands on them and, and put tape to them. And, you know, there's 240, 230 class deer that, you know, get shot on a yearly basis in between the two provinces that are just wild free range giants. So you're a certified score for the Boone and Crockett system or what system is it in Canada? Is it still Boone and Crockett? It's Boone and Crockett. Um, I don't, we don't score them Boone and Crockett at that show. They're not 60 days, you know, old it's December. There's most of these are harvested in November. Um, but we're getting them, uh, within the inch or two of what they'd officially score, uh, for guys that just want to say, Hey, what's my deer score? This is kind of what he scored. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys that come in, their panel scored, we score them, and we're right on the button, of course. Been doing it, I think this is our 10th year. Yeah, because with Boone and Crockett, you go out and harvest an animal, and that animal's been, you know, alive, obviously, and he's pumping blood from his organs and his heart through. That's That makes things grow. Yes. That, that makes bone grow. That you makes bet. hair grow. That's just like us. Yeah. Density, all of that. You kill it, the blood stops. The yeah. pumping stops, right? So now the, the legal ways of... of of scoring that deer for a record book or being entered into the Boone and Crockett or the Pope and Young if you're an archery hunter or down in America, a lot of the states have their state record yeah. books like Nevada has different right. point totals that you need to accumulate in mule deer or antelope mm -hmm. or sheep or elk or whatever. So there's a 60 day drawing period is what you're referring Correct. to in yeah. that 60 day drawing period with no blood going to that bone. It's going to have the tendency to shrink up a little bit. Absolutely. They do tend to shrink a bit. Um, you know, and that can vary between animal to you know, what it's stored in while it's waiting on a 60 day period and so on and so forth. So when you say stored in, is it legal to freeze it? Uh, you know, I don't, I, you're not, I don't think you're allowed to technically keep it in a freezer for your 60 day period. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but, uh, you're supposed to have in a cool, dark, dry area if you, if you will. Right. So you get, usually get it clean, the skull clean. So it's, you know, 
it's not sitting there smelling away or whatnot, but yeah, dark, cool, dry area would be just ideal. And we say bone, but there are animals in that scoring system like the antelope that their horns are more made up of a hair material. Yeah. So, but that's the same thing. It's going to dry out and stop growing and have the tendency to shrink a little bit. Yeah. So that's why the Boone and Crockett system puts that 60-day drying period, grace period, if you will, right. before they officially score it. Yeah. Uh-huh. So there's a wet score and then a dry score. Yeah, green score. And a, a green score and a dry bet. score. And then, you know, it's just like you said, your antelope, that's actually a horn, right? Uh, so anything with a horn tends to shrink a little more than something with an antler. Uh, it's, you know, it's a different material. Uh, and it seems like it'll get a little better shrink on it. Really? Versus an, an antler, yep. So an antelope is going to shrink more than a mule deer? Over time, absolutely. Over time? Yeah. So that one that we scored last night that you think is 75, 76, <laughs> and I'm saying no more than 71. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely. It's a 15-year-old head. Yeah, that's, you know what, 15, yes. Yeah, that antelope definitely shrunk, you know, you know, within an inch of what it would have actually scored at, at its, you know, dry stage. After, after 60 days, for sure. So you got you got scoring animals that you, I don't know if you specialize in scoring animals. I don't mm-hmm. know if you can, but does that help you as an outfitter that you can go out and field judge? Now, now let's, you know, we're talking about field judging now. So now you can put a tape on an animal when he's dead or after Absolutely. the 60-day drive Anybody period. Can do that. You know, you can learn how to do that. But the hard part <laughs> is mm-hmm. looking at that thing on the hoof. And, yeah. be, and you got to be close. I, some guys, you know, say that you got to be within 80 yards of an antelope with good binoculars to really see the prongs and the cutters and the, the mass coming out of the head, which are the bases, right. the length, um, to try to get a really good field judge score on that. Because you don't want to kill an animal that you think scores 180 and then you walk up and go, oh, ground shrinkage and he's only 155, which there's nothing wrong with that, a 155. But to be a good outfitter, to be a good big game hunter, to chase trophy animals, field judging is a big part of that. Do you specialize in field judging too? Are you pretty accurate with it? Yeah, field judging, I mean, it takes time. That, that takes time in the field of doing anything, right? Uh, field judging, you know, length, width, stuff like that for, for field judging, that's a very basic, simple, uh, you know, equation to come up with. What's really difficult to, to get on any aspect is the mass. Mass at any distance is so difficult to judge. So, you know, either you're going off his eyes or you're going off the ears, you know. Um, you know, in those aspects is what you're trying to get a good judge for mass. But mass, I don't care how long, how often you look at them, it still gives the best of us a good challenge. So, and when you talk about mass, I want to make sure that everybody understands that through the scoring system, um, a lot of the people would think, well, do you just take the width and you add that to the length? And then, well, there's a, there's a process in different animals where, whether it's a deer and you're, and you're taking all the tines, the G2 and the G1 and the G3 and are on, on an antelope, you, you measure the overall length of the horn. Yes. You take that measurement and you divide that by four. Mm-hmm. Then you start at the bottom of the base with one measurement. And then you take that number that you got when you divided the length by four. And that's how many inches you move up for each of your mass measurements. Yes. Then you have a prong measurement. Yeah. And then you take that horn and then you add it to the other horn total. Correct. And that's where you get your 70 or your 71 or how you add on seven or eight inches, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> the, the way you do it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really, it's a really interesting system. Uh, you know, and every, every animal is a little different on, on how you score them. But uh, on everything that's usually walking around that has a horn or an antler, it gets four circumferences for the mass. And mass is a big play, if you will, when you're looking at um, number game when you're hunting something. 
so, you know, that mass can add up, whether it's, you know, three inches and around and you got four of those, or if you got five and a half inches of mass and you got four of those, the difference is, you know, subsistent. It's, it's quite different. And can you, when you're an outfitter, what is your thought process like when you're in that part of the country and you know you have the ability to produce the you know the the heads and the inches that you're talking about because in america you you do have a chance to kill a 200 inch whitetail and there's some that are killed every season i'm not a whitetail hunter but the the deer that i've seen come out of saskatchewan and alberta they're just a different species of whitetail in my opinion it might be because the genetics are better because there's not as many taken out of the herd every year you guys manage them better i don't know what the reason is but if a guy goes out and he's sitting on his own, do you tell him, Hey, don't shoot a one fifty or how, how, what does a hunter do when he's out? But is he sitting with a guide the whole time? Not when you're deer hunting, uh, deer hunting, you're on your own. Um, you know, I try to instruct most hunters, uh, you know, if they're up here and looking for, you know, a, a trophy class animal, I try to make sure that they, you know, they're, they're looking for something, a one fifty or larger. Uh, I would never tell anyone to pass up a one sixty. This is wild free range whitetail and the white one sixty. I don't care where you are in the world. It's a big deer. Um, and, uh, and it is tough to judge them. You know, I get a lot of hunters. I've had several hunters in the last few years call me up and say, buck down, right? Buck down and get over there. And, you know, they haven't went over and found it and they're all nervous and they're they're like, man, I just, you know, I almost let the deer go. I'm I'm not sure if he's a 140, you know? And, and as we walk over there and we approach the down buck and in that 140 or 135 that they had thought the shot rolls into a 170, 175 and they stand back and they're lost. They're just like, the bodies on these deer were so big that these horns look small. And, and as they approached it and put their hands on it, you know, it, they just turned a hundred degrees in a direction and like, couldn't believe what they just did, you know? And they, and they, um, have the ability to shoot any deer that they want there. It's, it's free. Like you, you, you try to educate them a little bit, but if they, if they shoot the first deer they see, there's no, in a lot of places in America on different leases and different outfitters, they try to manage the herd by saying, don't shoot a two-year-old, don't shoot a three-year-old, don't shoot a 130, let that herd, if he's a coal buck or something that's bad for the genetic line on that different piece of land or that certain piece of land, whether it's a lease or you own it, they'll let you take out a cool buck if they think that that genetic is bad for the line, right? right. So are, are they allowed to shoot whatever they want when they pay that amount of money to come up and shoot a whitetail with take them? Well, as long as it is a buck and it's a white-tailed deer, if they got a white-tailed deer, tag in their pocket or a mule deer you know it has to be the you know the species that they have the tag for in their pocket but yes they're allowed to shoot any class of antler on that animal um what they desire but uh you know most of them are really good um you know and i have i have 10 15 heads you know in the lodge that go from 130 to to 160 alone that are european mounts that they can touch put their hands on and it gives them a good sense of idea of what they're looking for when they're out there hunting that deer. So they can get a size reference. You know, I'm touching a 130. This is what they look like in Alberta versus what it looked like in Texas. Have you ever had a disappointment to where somebody pisses you off because they're up there and they spend that money? Or it, it just seems like there's some pressure here because I'm starting to think like they're spending, you know, four, five, six, seven thousand dollars to come kill a whitetail. They get in there, they get all juiced up first day they shoot it it's 140 do they go hey that's not right does anybody ever lose it or most guys for the you know are they all understanding that hey this is it and they're happy with what what happens yeah i mean i've been doing it 12 years now i've never come across you know that circumstances i mean there's been times where a guy's been 
like, you know, holy. He looked a little bigger than I thought he was. Um, and, you know, I'm happy with him. But uh, we're coming back next year, and we're going to try for his brother. Um, you know, and but I've also had the other circumstances where they called, and they thought he shot a 140, and you get up there, and he's 175, 180-inch deer. And, uh, you know, that's a moment that uh, it's, you don't, it's, you have to be there to experience it. So for the most part, Americans that are traveling to Canada have a pretty good sense of what, what expectations are and, and they're, they're just easy to deal with and a pleasure to deal with because, you know, transitioning into the, my favorite part of what you do and the envy that I have for what you get to do, not a lot of envy because I get it on a different, on a different realm, but you get to meet a lot of cool, cool cats that you've developed lifelong friendships with that were just paying customers initially. Absolutely. And now, I mean, I, I hear you all day long texting, and I don't hear you texting. Well, you do text a lot. You're on your phone nonstop. I see where, <laughs> where your daughters get it from. But um, you're constantly talking to guys that were pretty much just paying customers at one time, right? Yeah, perfectly, uh, perfectly good stranger, just like you and myself. Um, you know, and, and over time, you know, you build a relationship. Uh, they come up and they're, they're a new customer. And next thing you know, they're leaving as a good friend. And then that relationship just only grows over time. Most of my customers are 100% repeat. So, you know, most of my deer clientele have been with me since the day I started. My waterfowl customers, um, the ones I started with, they're still with me. The ones I, you know, the second year I was in the business, they're still with me. Um, and, and Black Bear is a little more revolving door just because, a black bear, once you shoot two to three of them, you know, they're, they're pretty well just a bear and other bears, another bear. But, uh, uh, so you go through those a little differently, but, uh, the waterfowl and the whitetail, those guys there are very loyal, you know, good people. And, uh, that's why we're down here today and joining your company. Well, and I, and I'm humbled by it. I appreciate it for you to fly from Alberta down here to do the podcast and to, to hang out at, you know, we've had some good times the last, you know, 48 hours you're headed to, you know, for example, this is a great example of what we just talked about. From here, you're going to head to New Orleans, Louisiana, yes, yep. and you're going to meet your wife, your three daughters who are flying out there tomorrow morning. You You'll bet. meet them in New Orleans tomorrow evening when you leave here. Yeah. And take me from there. You're going to meet some clients that were at one time paying clients, but now they're dear family friends. And oh, I want yeah. you to talk about some of these Cajuns. And I want you to yeah. talk about a couple things because Cajuns are known for two things, in my opinion, the ones that I know their outlook on life and how they're always optimistic and just ready to drink a cold beer, eat a crawfish and, and have fun and their ability to cook. Oh, I man. mean, there's nothing better than being friends with a true Cajun that understands. I tell you, <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Oh, it's hard to really yeah. tell people that, but in camp with you, a lot of your, a lot of your clientele comes from Louisiana. That Absolutely. Cajun so they, tell, take me through new Orleans. You're going from here to new Orleans and you're going to meet the, some guys that were originally paying customers but now we're friends like we are. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to fly down to New Orleans. And uh, from New Orleans, we're going to drive over to uh, Lafayette. And we're going to go and uh, meet uh, Jay Maureen Smith. Uh, Jay's been with me for, I don't know, probably nine years. Uh, he is an individual that just truly loves whitetail hunting. He's an inspiration, actually, when you, when you sit there and listen to him tell you how he, how he loves the deer hunt and, and his stories. And, you know, and he came up with waterfowl customers as well. Um, so we're going to stay with those guys there for a few days and, uh, and, and enjoy their company. And of course, Jay's a, I mean, he is a man that loves to cook and he can cook meat. That guy can cook anything on a barbecue. Trigger needs to meet this guy. But didn't you say that he had, had that after he had left Alberta, he went and got one? Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, that was buddy, buddy went and got one right after he left Alberta, uh, uh, bird camp. Actually you were up with buddy in camp that, uh, last week or last year of that week. 
and uh, he went and bought a trigger and we went down there this spring in april for a wounded warrior donation that we give for a two-man waterfowl hunt and uh, we went over for cocktails at his his and his wife's place there and he had to show me his new trigger he just bought after uh, after a week in camp with the fowl life and take them outfitters he he had to have one so he got one with the stereo the whole bluetooth the meal deal it was it was a great the, night the meal deal yeah but that so that's buddy but the guy that you're staying with jay he's a is it jay yeah jay and he was he in camp with us too he was no with them. no he wasn't with us uh uh Lindley and uh andrew holloman were with us that time and uh, as we were only staying a couple of days with jay and then we drive back to new orleans to the french quarter uh, where we're going to meet up with Lindley and Andrew, his father, James, and, and Kelly Holloman. And uh, they've been with customers of mine probably for 10 years. And uh, we're going to enjoy about four days with them and their whole family. They're going to have a big thing there in the French Quarter. We did take my daughters and show them to some of their family as well. So it's going to be a very interesting week. We're very excited. Uh, and then from that point, we're going to uh, the Gulf with Big Mike Musso. We're going to do some fishing. So you, what, are, you, are you going, what, 10 days? 10 days. God, you're, man, to live your life. We're going to get sunburned. <laughs> so, so Lindley is, the, when I walked into camp last year, we get out of the truck, and I was like, God, oh, darn, what's that smell? And it was gumbo. And, I was, and I'm talking like a really, really legit, authentic roux. And he was browning and smoking the duck and goose legs. He, they were, they, you were using the entire duck. They oh. used the breast meat. They use the neck meat. They use the legs. They yeah. cut the legs off, and then they were using some of the wing meat, which is a tiny bit. But the legs were in the pot of roux after they took them off the Traeger. They were browning them and smoking yeah. them on the Traeger to start them. And then they put them in that roux and would just slow cook it All, it's a, it's with the a, sausages. It's and, a half-a-day deal. We limit out early in the morning, which is nice about being up with us to take them off. It is 9 o'clock, you're back in drinking a cold one, planning supper the evening because you already limited out on your ducks and your geese. And, uh, and Lindley Holloman, those Holloman boys also cook. And I'll tell you what, when it comes to gumbo, if Lindley says he's cooking gumbo, I'll tell you what, you don't eat nothing the rest of the day. You just drink some cold beer and wait for supper, because I'll tell you what. And, and they had it all. It was like, I look in the freezer, and what they brought you from Louisiana is all of some, you know, my favorite foods from yeah. alligator to shrimp yeah. to crawfish yeah. to to red to speckled trout yeah. to red redfish red and I'm like, man, dude, like these guys bring it up here. And that just shows you that all year, those guys are all successful, man. They all have great jobs. Yep. They all have great careers and livelihoods and families in Louisiana. A lot of the socialization that occurs down in that part of our country is around food. Oh, it's, it's it, a lot of the things, you know, at camp, a lot of the socialization occurs around food, yep. around the dinner table, around the campfire, around the barbecue, around the Traeger. And these guys are consistently doing this throughout the year, whether it's summer, fall, spring, winter, whatever in Louisiana. And then they make that trek North to all the way. Some of these guys are driving from Southern Louisiana, 48 down hours the, down on the Gulf coast, all the way up to Northern Alberta yep. to take them outfitters. And when they get there, they have coolers full of, the best meats in the world oh, for you and your family. And they cook it. And uh, I tell you what, you don't get any better people in the world. And these guys are as humble as anyone on this planet. And they'll sit there and they'll make you a five-star meal in your lodge for you on their trip. I mean, how awesome is that? I mean, they're up there to relax and have a cold beer, like you're saying. And they've worked hard all year. Oh, they're yeah. spending good money to be Absolutely. I want to make it clear that you're not giving these guys these hunts for no, free. No, they're, they're they, paying and they, customers. And, and they wouldn't want it. That's right. And they wouldn't want it. They're good friends that Absolutely. support your business and your family's livelihood. And then to top it all off to boot, they get there. And then they slave over the, the yeah. oven all day to pretty much to where you and Crystal just kick your feet up and go, hey, thank you. I'm telling you, there's, a, there's always that business 
you know, the professional uh, line, you know, and then we have our, 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 our personal line as well, like our, our friendship. And, and there's a friendship there amongst us that it's just, you know, they become family. You know, everybody's on a, on a first name. Their cousins are a first name basis. Their friends are neighbors. Uh, yeah, and it's been years with us. They could go anywhere in the world, and they choose to come up. Actually, Big Mikey Musso was my first customer I ever had. He made who we are today. We got probably, he between Big Mike, uh, James Hallman, and Jay Smith, they probably brought 70 customers through my door that are been 10-year customers, you know, every year they return, all of them. Just amazing, you know. <laughs> that was one of those deals to where within five minutes we knew camp was going to be comfortable because – you think about it, like, you, and you tell me if I'm wrong. I want to get back to the deer hunting part of this. Is that if if we show up in camp and it's a bunch of deer hunters, and you, and I don't know how it is at Canadian deer camp, but in America, I talked to Randy Birdsong about this a couple of days ago. Deer hunters in America are not like duck hunters at camp. They want to be in bed early. They got to be doing their laundry. They got to be, you know, the oxygenation of, you know, keeping the scent off it. Their yeah. scent control. Um, duck hunters are the complete opposite to where it's all about the socializing. It's oh. all about the cold beer. It's all about the, the campfires and the jokes and the staying up late. Absolutely. You don't mix the two. No, you can't mix. Can you mix can't. them in Canada? You, 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 no. <laughs> Luckily the, you don't have to, cause the seasons don't really intermingle. Yeah, intermingle there, that's but. right. We don't intermingle, but I mean, if they did for some reason, yeah, it would be the deer hunters would be sleeping at the campfire <laughs> while the duck hunters are pouring more drinks, you know? Yeah. And, and that's the thing though, is that those deer hunters are like, they want to be in bed. Well, they have that, to tire because they could sit on stand for 12 hours. 10 hours in a stand, usually on a commonly day, you know, from dark to dark. Yeah, and that, there's not a lot of talking. There's not a lot, you know, you can't. you got to yeah. be paying attention and focused and waiting on a deer to, to cross paths with you where, at, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, Lindley and all these guys are staying up until 1 in the morning cooking gumbo, drinking cold Bud Lights, yeah. and then they're up on time to go hunting, oh. and they're hooping and hollering in the blind, and they're shooting shotguns, and, and, and there, there's just a different mentality there it's all the safety's first obviously there's not it's yeah. not anybody being ignorant it's yeah. just that duck and goose hunting camp is different it's more in my opinion it's more of a celebration yeah i think deer it's camaraderie camp, yeah camaraderie i Who think deer, deer camp is more focused yeah and i'm not serious saying you don't have to i don't think you i'm not saying you don't have to focus to be a successful absolutely uh, uh you know duck, duck or goose hunter but when i'm lindley and i got seven or eight other cajuns and i know that i'm making the trek north 48 yeah. hours from new orleans to alberta to see clay and crystal take them it's not like i'm going up there and i gotta sit there on they know that they're not going to be by themselves all That's day right. for 10 hours it's going to be camaraderie and joking and ribbon and talking smack in the blind and then it's going to be around that fire drinking a beer then it's going to be around that gumbo pot cooking that roux and and men making everybody smile and high-fiving for that it's a never-ending celebration is my point absolutely there's times you'd be sitting in that blind and you're you know you're rolling on the birds and uh you're done by 7 38 o'clock in the morning and you're sitting there picking up decoys and you look across the field and here comes a pickup across the field and here's the guide showing up scout showing up you know hot tim horton coffee and the donuts you know everybody stops for 25 minutes you know we'll pick up decoys here in, you know in another 15 minutes we're going to enjoy this we're going to have a coffee in the field shoot the breeze about what we just did i mean times like that is pretty awesome deer hunting a little more so you know you're getting out of the stand at five o'clock dark you, you all you can think about is what's for supper because you've been in that stand all day you ate your lunch at 10 o'clock and uh, you get home you have a few cocktails you have supper and it's lights out you're going to bed yeah and there's nothing wrong with that i'm not i don't ever want to come across as like i think that you know that there's one that's oh, on a no. you know, spectrum but i i just that getting out of that truck 
and having those Cajuns come up and give me a high five like they'd known me for years. And literally, we stood there on your deck with our with our our cold beers before we couldn't even un, before we even unpacked the trailer and truck and got organized. We knew that we had a full day the next day to scout, so we took our time. But how can you get out and go straight to work doing what I do when you have all of these Cajuns meeting you and your family, right? And then the the, the smells of the gumbo, yeah. And then you walk in the house, and then that's where I meet Brian. Yeah. And Brian's just he's funnier <laughs> than heck, and that you know he, he's he's. I stay in touch with him, but the, watching him cook his duck poppers, and yep. I gave him so much snack. I'm like, "Don't put cream cheese in yep. my duck poppers." Yep. Like, oh, you know. So like, he, he's already call. He's already like within. Yeah, I'm talking within two hours of knowing each other. He's calling me a prima donna. Yeah, uh, that I'm I'm high maintenance. So Chad Belding doesn't eat cream cheese, and oh. and, and that was it. That's all it takes. Yeah. My my point, Clay, is that no matter if you're across the border in a foreign country as Canada, right. or down in the states, when you're at duck camp. It's so easy to get to know somebody and hit it off to where you're just you just know you're going to stay yeah. in touch for a long time. Everybody's such good spirits, good attitude. Everybody's there for the same reason to have a good time. You know, shoot some birds, shoot the breeze. Uh, you know, the atmosphere is wonderful. The lodge is beautiful. Uh, you know, and it's just a wonderful environment. You got the dogs. You got the you know the kids. It's a family environment. Um, you know, everybody has a few drinks. No one gets too crazy, but uh, everyone has a wonderful, relaxed time and. And it's what it's all about. It's when you go home with the memories of a lifetime. And I think that's what it is. And I think that you hit on it before is that how all of these, you know, a bear is like a mountain lion to me. Like, I love doing it. I love seeing the dogs work. I love being on that trail. I love getting up and seeing the dogs put a, bear, a, a, a mountain lion or a cougar in a tree. But then the emotional part kicks in, the compassionate part, the yep. heart of a hunter kicks in. It's sad. Yep. To me, it's sad to see a bear walk up to a, a, a barrel of honey and, uh, and oats, which I understand yep. the theory behind yep. it. I get the management part. Right. I would never go, bear hunting needs to be, I'm not that guy. Right. I'm a hunter. I'm a killer. I'm, yep. I, I love it. But I get sad. Yep. And I think it is sad. And I think if you don't get sad, you're missing the boat. Hey. If, you're, if you're just out there for the kill, that's not what it's about. Absolutely. It's... So, and, 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 and I'm not trying to cut you off, but that thing, what you said a minute ago about the, re, the revolving door of bear hunters makes sense because you can't do that every year. No. If you do, I, I, I don't know. I just, the, the, the compassionate part of me, I don't think I could shoot a bear over a bait every year. Now I'm not saying there's anything wrong if you kill a hundred right. of them a year, yeah. as long as it's legally yeah, absolutely. correct. But that revolving door of waterfowl hunters is not because they smash birds every day. Now, they're going to get good hunts. Yeah. And I know that your hunting is consistently badass. Yeah. But I promise you, what I saw that, at that camp life, all three nights, and, yeah. and different groups of Cajuns, because after the first group of Cajuns moved out, another group of Cajuns yeah. moved in. That's right. And it went straight back to smack talking oh, wow. with Belding, mm -hmm. to the point to where now they're in the blind with us. They're telling me I can't shoot. We're, we're talking <laughs> smack. And then we have a cooking competition. Correct. And then you take it from there. They throw down on like a five-course gourmet Cajun meal. Right. I'll tell you what, that was a good day to be in camp as a guide or an outfitter because we had two guys going neck to neck cooking some of unbelievable. You can't get this food in a restaurant, I'm telling you. And, you know, we got to watch it all unfold from the time it was like 10 o'clock in the morning until we ate around that 6, 7 o'clock at night um, and watch these two guys, Chad Belding and Lindley Holloman and, and Beeline and, and Buddy cooking away. And I mean, we ate, I think it was seafood uh, chowder or something of that nature, yeah. and Chad made a, a pulled duck, which was, I didn't even think it was possible. Well, they had, they had cooked, they, that, the, the first night that I cooked with Brian and those guys, they had made the chowder and the, and the gumbo and the, and the, um, the gator bites. Yes, and, gator and, bites. And I cooked the duck on the Traeger. Yes. 
with, alongside some of Brian's poppers that I wouldn't no. let him put cream cheese. And that was amazing. Oh, yeah. And then the next group of Cajuns that came in from the hunt, because you're generous and you donate yes. hunts to the DU and Ducks New Orleans. Ducks Unlimited boys, yeah. And those and that guy, Shane. Shane and, and Romero. And, and Romero, the, they, they're in the hotel business. They were the ones that were smack-talking me to the point. I mean, he put on a banded flat bill, and he was trying. Oh, yeah. You know, he's like, I'm Chad Billing and all this stuff. And, <laughs> and then it became a cooking <laughs> yeah, competition yeah. to where I had guys that like Scott Dahl and Randy Christensen and all these yeah. guys judging. And they, that meal that they prepared, because I went to the store with them. And when right. I saw their basket compared to my basket, I'm like, these dudes are crazy cooks. Yeah. Like, they were going nuts. And that meal. Was fabulous. It was crawfish etouffee. That's what it was, yes. It was red, red fish with a, gra- with a roux oh, on top yeah. of it, with a, with a shrimp gravy or something on top Holy. of it. And then it was, it was crawfish etouffee. And then they, they made a, sp- uh, sp- uh, uh, yeah, it was linguine or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah that pasta. Well, and then pasta. I, and then I, and then he goes, and then Belding's got his boiled duck. <laughs> I, I, I did a pulled goose recipe where I oh, smoked, man. I smoked them on the Traeger for a little bit. And then I put them into a crock pot and did this thing that my buddy in Michigan, Joe Robinson taught me years ago on an onion bun with this pulled goose, oh. all Canada goose killed that morning. Lit up. Um, they're, 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 they got the finest meats from Louisiana and here's Belding with some Canada goose goose or boiled duck like yep, they call boiled it boiled duck and hey you know i'm telling you, you knocked the, it out of the park some with of the that. Guy, you know like scott doll and randy like wow dude like because it's, it's scott doesn't just you know in, in engulf himself with right or gorge himself with ducks and geese yeah. he loves to hunt them and he likes to eat them when they're right yeah but a lot of people don't cook them right and when he tasted that he's like you're lying he was calling me a liar that isn't goose meat and i'm like yeah. that's all 100 can of goose absolutely meat. my point in all of that is that I didn't know Shane. I didn't know those guys at yeah. all. And here we are. We're driving in the car within 24 hours of knowing each other, ma- making stories, telling stories, making lies up and telling, yeah. you know, and then we get to the store. We all get our ingredients and we're just smack talking all day, cooking these recipes, oh, yeah. drinking a cold good time. beer. And I, I barely knew those guys. Yeah. And now we're, we're friends. Yeah. They've invited me to Louisiana right. out on their boats, you yeah. know, to, and, and the other one <clears throat> that was, you know, that I love is it was Lindley and, and, he is that guy that's successful in life. His yep. family's successful in life. You would never know for one minute how much money his family has or what they've accumulated. And it doesn't matter because I've said it before and I'll say it a million times. When you're in duck camp, it doesn't matter if you're a celebrity or a Marine or a janitor Absolutely. or a kid. Everybody's cut from that same cloth. We're and, all equal. And when you're sitting around that campfire or standing around that pot of gumbo, there's nobody that's better than anybody else. Nope. And that's what I loved about those guys is that when you meet somebody, you don't know who they come from. Absolutely. You don't know what they do. It's always that first impression when they treat you like, right. hey, w- hey, what's going on? You're, hey, buddy, well, you know that? And we, and we hit it off. Then you start to learn who they are. You're like, man, this is cool. That's These right. guys have a lot of status in Louisiana. They're doing big things entrepreneur-wise yeah. and business-wise, income-wise, revenue-wise. And you would never know for one second that they were the success stories that they truly yeah. are. And that's Just what good people. and that's what duck camp does, Clay, is it humbles you. It brings you down to your knees to where nobody's bigger than the duck, yeah. nobody's bigger than the fire, nobody's bigger than the woods. Right. It's all about that experience and that hunt and those stories and those memories. That's what's special about it. It's a good time. And your camp provides that, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, like a lot of people have said, you know, and they can go anywhere in the world, they've traveled the world. Uh and what makes them come back every time, you know, bird hunting is good. No, bird, bird hunting is good in Saskatchewan. I mean, if you go to anywhere in the, in the right areas, it's lights out theoretically. But what brings people back every year to take them outfitters is more of the commodity, the atmosphere. Uh, and what we have as a whole, as a relationship, is why they come back, you know. And, of course, don't get me wrong, the hunting is world class. But 
yeah, it's what, what they're coming to is why, why they're coming back. Yeah, and I talked to J.P. Fisher, who works in, in, with Benelli USA. He's a, a big part of their, their corporation there, and he's a good friend of mine, very impor- important to our success here at the Foul Life and Bandit. And he came up and joined us on that hunt. And the first thing that he talked about was what I want to talk about is, now is your family. Walking in for the first time and seeing Crystal in there and having her come up, there's really no handshake. There's really no hi. It's a hug. Yes. Thanks for coming. We're glad that you guys are here. We've been looking forward to having you here at, at Take Em Outfitters. And, and from that point on, and, and Crystal and I, are, you know, we, Absolutely. we talk smack yeah. like a brother and sister. <laughs> and she, you know, my arms around her and we're, you know, and we're just having a good time. Your daughters are there. You have this family life where your daughters are getting off the school bus. They're feeding their horses. They are helping you clean ducks, clean geese. And I'm not just talking put them in a Ziploc after somebody else cuts the meat off it. These girls are putting on rubber aprons and suits and gloves. and Getting at it. They were getting the Elk Ridge knives and hatchets out. And um, they were teamed up with with, With Janelle, Janelle, who is a world-class beauty. And she's in there with blood all over herself. And her husband's up guiding stone sheep hunts. She's got her baby in a backpack. And she's cleaning ducks and geese. You bet. And she is unbelievable just to watch her clean birds. I mean, and she enjoys it. Uh, You know, it's one of those things is she comes over in a couple hours in a day and she's got this stuff all prepared nicely, ready to go home with these, uh, you know, the ducks you harvest so you can enjoy them further down the road. But uh, yeah, Janelle, she's a big part of our business. And, uh, you know, I mean, we're just thankful to have her a part of Take Em Outfitters. She does such a wonderful job and the girls enjoy helping her all the time. And I think that, you know, it's, it's hard to find something that the whole family relates to. And it was cool seeing how your daughters liked being in the lodge. They liked interacting with the clients because again, it goes back to those relationships that those clients and your kids have become friends yeah, like family. And that makes it easier for the clients to become more ingrained in what you're doing. Yeah. Because when you get the feeling that, Hey, you're, you're just a statistic, right? Or you're just a number. Like we're getting you in and we're getting you out. That's right. Here's your three squares a day. That's right. Here's your time in the blind, you know, and, and that happens. Yeah. And to be a good outfitter is, 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 is part of that network. It's networking, it's communication, yeah. it's authenticity. Um, it's about providing that experience because there are going to be days where things don't go your way. There's going to be, there's going to be a flat tire. There's going right. to be getting stuck there. Mm-hmm. And when, if, if Lindley and those Cajuns got stuck, they would pop a beer and they would sit there and figure out how in the hell are we going to get our truck out of this field or out of this ditch now. I'll tell you what, they'd be picking it up, lifting and carrying out of there, them boys. You know, I mean, there's never such thing as we can't do it, you know. And, I mean, they're in there setting up the decoys as well. You know, most of our clients are all the same. You know, they get out there, we park the trucks, we get the lights on, and before you know it, everybody's out grabbing bags, everybody's setting up the blinds. You know, everybody's doing something. And it's done in minutes. It doesn't take long. Same with the breakdown. It's the same way. Everybody's throwing stuff back in the bags, loading the trailer, loading the blinds, and away we go. You know, everybody just enjoys that. I've asked them time and time before. I said, hey, you guys, would you prefer rather to come out about 40 minutes after, you know, the guides get out here and get things set up? And they looked at me funny, right? They're like, this is kind of why we come up here. The setup doesn't take long. It doesn't take long to break down. They enjoy it. They feel like, you know, it's part of their hunt. You know, they enjoy that 15 minutes of setting up some decoys, getting ready, and then watching the morning sun come up as we're having a little safety meeting. Yeah. And I think, you know, what I do, I get, sometimes I've gotten away from that because we get out of the trucks and the first thing that we do is we go right into production mode. You know what I'm saying? But what I'm saying is that when I, when I sit back and I, and I think about the hunt or what I get to, you know, take part in throughout the season and you start to get away from what you just mentioned, if, if a hunter is going to pay money and he's going to go up and he's fine with, 
coming out to the field later and missing that part of it right. and just getting in the blind and pulling the trigger, taking a picture, going back. Correct. That would be crazy to me to ever think that somebody would be happy with that. So my point is, Clay, is that I get out of the truck and the cameras are on and I'm doing this and I go over to you and, hey, tell me about the hide. Right. While at the same time, the work's being done. The, the, yeah, it's, the blinds are being concealed. The decoys everybody. are being put out. Everybody's working as a team. And, you know, I, I think that most people have a grasp or a good understanding of why I'm doing that. Yeah. I just never wanted to give that that feeling to somebody like, you know, like, oh, he doesn't want to do that. Because I, I love that part of yeah, it. Yeah, well, I, you're, I you're doing what you need to do at that moment in time, right? That's You're explaining to the to the world what's going on, um, you know, the area you're hunting, so on. So that's, that's kind of, you know, you got to do your job when it's time to do your job, and that's kind of what you do, you, you and you do it very well. You're one of the best. I mean, you, well, you I appreciate absolutely. That. You make it look good, uh, the quality's there. And, and especially after getting to know you a little bit, you know, you're the same as those Louisiana boys. I mean, I've been here 48 hours. The man doesn't stop cooking. Uh, you know, we're, we're hanging out with buddies. We got the, I got to spend a couple of days here with his, him and his daughter to watch him and his daughter hang out with each other. It's just been, it's like being at home. Yeah. It's awesome. And I think that that's what, I think that that's the important thing about getting to know somebody is that you could easily uh, assume things like I could assume like, you know, clays this or clays right. that without you know just talking to you on the phone right but once you get to go and experience time with somebody and get to spend time that truly that's the only way that you could should be allowed to make correct a, a judgment on somebody yeah. like if you are going to be critical or you are going to be that guy that judges or you're going to be that person that gets right. online and says you know take them outfitters is is this or chad belding's this spend some time with clay Absolutely. charles and crystal and their family spend some time with my myself and yeah. We just got back from, you know, the duck club called the canvas back. I took you out there for 24 hours for a kid's event put on by my good friend, Dave Stanley and his daughter, Katie wow. Stanley. You got, to, you got to see 75 kids yeah. learn boating, archery, rifles, shotguns, duck calling, decoy painting, oh. um, teamwork, yep. dog com training. competition, yep. dog training. They got to eat lunch. They got to socialize. Yep. They got to be around a duck marsh. Yeah. They got to be inside a duck, duck hunting camp. community, a duck camp. And you haven't seen anything no. like that, huh? No, that was cool. Um, and nothing gets us, you know, my wife and my family, same thing. Is we're, you know, involved around the family. And, and for the sea, all these gentlemen uh, in their duck camp taking these kids doing what they were doing yesterday was just, just humbling. Uh, to see the faces on these kids out there shooting a BB gun and, and, and casting and on their boat ride and, you know, and in a big supper, dinner afterwards and whatnot. Yeah, it was it was terrific. In the middle of the desert was the coolest part ever. The duck camp was in Nevada. It was very interesting for a boy from Alberta. I can tell you that. And I, and I think that when, you, when you're in a, in a position like you were, being the outsider, you were part of it in a heartbeat. Instantly. I Instantly, mean, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. I had my chores right now. As soon as I got there, like, hey, you know, what are we doing? And this is what we're doing. And we all we went and... And, uh, yeah, it's a big team and everybody, you know, the, the same thing to take down the breakdown and, and to put up was, it was well done. Everybody had a great time. And I would imagine this is something that, uh, you've guys done before and it's, it's going to carry on forward. I would imagine for a few years yet, these kids, it's a great thing for these kids. Yeah. Without people like Dave Stanley and Kirk Nesbitt and his father, Les out there, Les 77 years old, Correct. Yeah, it's 101 degrees. He's yeah. in, he's in awesome shape. Everybody from our show knows Les wow. and what he does, but He's in that boat giving, you know, eight-year-olds to 15-year-olds tours oh, right. of the marsh, yep. showing them the blind, showing them how to hide, showing yep. them how to access it through the canal system. And that gets you know, me going. That gets oh. Without that, without those individuals like Dave and Katie and Les and Kirk and every, Dan Morgan and everybody that was part of that event, giving their time giving to back. get the next generation interested, yep. that was a hands-on approach yep. and experience for those kids of saying, 
I like holding decoys. I like the sounds duck call makes. I like shooting right. bow and arrows. And it gets them, it might, if it, out of 70 kids, if it sparked three or four, we did cool. our job. That's right. Absolutely. You imagine with some of them little boys and girls, you know, um, you know, not all of them all have that opportunity every day just to get in a truck and go with dad to a, a duck blind or duck pond or so on and so forth. And, and you guys give an opportunity for these individuals to actually get to see what it's like. And, you know, I remember what it was like being a little boy waiting for that, you know, opening day of bird season. I mean, wake up call was 5.30 in the morning and I was up at 2 o'clock and I wasn't going back to bed. I was ready, boots on, let's go, you know, waiting for that moment to walk out the door. And that's kind of what you guys kind of get to do with these kids. They get to see that. They get to feel it. They get to be in the atmosphere. They get to be a part of it for at least, if not one time, out of that day of the year, right? And to see those kids to have that moment, yeah. I mean, you could see the smiles on their faces. You know, they couldn't wipe them off. They were, they, they totally loved it. And, and I think that that, when you are growing up in a place like your kids are growing up, which isn't like where my daughter's growing up, we have access to civilization right Correct. out our door. You guys got to drive at least a half hour. Yeah, half an to hour go to town. a bigger city, you're three hours away. Um, when your daughters wake up, they're feeding horses. They're, yeah. they're involved in the 4-H up in Canada. Yeah. They're, they're raising animals. They're learning their responsibility. In an event like we just experienced at the Canvas Back Club, we have the 4-H that we work with down here. Right. We work with several kids' organizations. That lifestyle is what I feel we need to get back to. I think that, that teaching kids how – I know that they're going to be on their phones. I know they're going to be yep. on their iPads. I get that. That's I understand technology. That's right. We're all guilty of it. We yep. can't expect our kids not to partake <laughs> in today's world, but – if we can get them to spend a couple hours a day learning how to take care of a horse, learning how to set up a decoy, rig, learning how to run a boat, learning right. boat safety, learning hunting safety and ethics and yep. morals and all that, I feel that that's what our communities need to get back to down Absolutely. here in the States. And when I'm we up, all do. Yeah, and, and, and up there seeing the responsibility that your daughters feel towards your business. Yep. They know they have chores. They know that they got to put in some of the effort that's because right. the payout's going to be Hey, mommy and dad, you're going to award you with a trip to New Orleans, a trip fishing. to Florida. We're going fishing. We're going on that's vacation. Right. Here's some new clothes. That's right. And that's what we're trying to teach those kids out there is that we're not, I'm not going to be the guy that's like, you're never going to be on your phone because right. that's, I would have to get off mine. That, that, correct. That's right. right. Absolutely. And I think that you get that grasp of that event at the canvas back of if more people that are antis, if more people that would, that, that hate or so-called hate, quote unquote, hate the hunter the lifestyle, what we do, you murderers, the, the animals that we're killing. If they would take the time to drive out to the canvas back club oh and see goodness. what these kids are I experiencing, then they would understand that there's no better education in the world, right? There's no better conservation in the whole world than a hunter. Yeah. And we all look forward to saving to tomorrow for our, our, our next generation. That's what we do. <clears throat> it's not about going out and killing them all or harvesting them all or, or whatever. It's about enjoying our time with our son and our daughter or our father or our grandfather or our best friend or our wife. And, uh, and our children are tomorrow, right? So what you guys did yesterday was just truly awesome to see all those little kids from town and the city or in the community around to, to, to experience that was awesome. What, what, does it, what does it take, though? Like, how do we get that message out there to people of, you know, we're not going to try to get on a, you know, a soapbox and say this no. lifestyle is better than anybody <laughs> else's, but there is, there's got to be some common thread here that we can show people that it's, imp it's important 
to learn that part of life. I truly feel it's important to learn how to use a knife, Absolutely. to learn how to gun, to, have, to learn how to use a gun, to have confidence in a gun, yep. to know your way around a gun. That's right. What, what's wrong with teaching somebody to grow their own food, process their own food, butcher their own food, cook their own Independence. food? Independence. Learning that responsibility level that yep. if I don't feed my dog today, my puppy, my daughter out there yesterday had Duff, my, mm-hmm. our new lab. And she knows about feeding him and bathing him and making sure that he is taken care of nutritionally wise, right. his, his lodging and what he goes through and what it's going to take to make him into a good duck dog, a good pet with good obedience. Yep. She's learning that. So if we could do that and what your daughters are doing with their horses yeah. and we can learn that, Hey, living off the land, being a farmer, being a rancher, being an outfitter, being a hunter, being a provider, being a, a fisher, really if you mix in some sports and some, some karate and some gymnastics yeah. and some movies and all that, there's no better lifestyle in my opinion. And I think that that's really what the, the last 24 hours showed us is that those kids were having a blast. Hey man, you made their, some of them, you made their, their year. I mean, this is one of the events they get to do. They get to be a part of the big thing. We're in duck camp. We get to ride in a duck boat. Um, we get to blow on a duck call, you know, or some of them, Hey, I got to shoot my arrow for the first time and pop a balloon, you know, stuff like that. Um, yeah. And it's, that's how we, how, you know, I'd love to see the future of all our sons and daughters get to, to feel that, that moment, to smell that fresh morning air, you know, to be a part of something of that, like that nature, uh, to see the ducks in the field, the, 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 the pelicans flying over and, and, and you're the reason why they're there, you know, the conservation to hold that water still to maintain it where it doesn't, you know, get lost into development, agriculture, so on and so forth. You know, you get to be a part of that. That's, that's cool. I thought it was too. And what was really neat is to see after it was over and the lunch was being served while parents and, and, and guardians were waiting in line for hamburgers and hot dogs. Some of the kids were running back out and they were doing the casting game by themselves. Yeah. They were making more oh, yeah. survival bracelets. They yeah. wanted to paint more decoys. They didn't get them out of there. They didn't want it to end. No. And I, you know, I was watching my nephew chase and he was one of the winners of the casting game and yeah. he's, he loves fishing. Oh. He's eating up with it. I mean, he's all boy. If he's not, if he's not up my ass about I, uncle Chad, take me fishing. Like, mm-hmm. I, I heard him ask 30 people to oh, take yeah. him out on their boat. He's trying to sell a shoe to get a boat. You yeah. know? <laughs> he's, like, he's just like, take me fishing. And he won a rod for that yeah, casting game. That's right. And he's, as soon as he won that rod, he wanted to take it out of the package and put it together and go fishing. Let's go fishing. He's a, he, he lives that life. That's right. He's being brought up that way by my, by my brother, Clay and myself, and my brother, Clint. Um, my dad instilled that in us That's is right. that he, he wants to live off the land. He wants to hunt. That's he's, right. he's He loves baseball. Yeah. He loves movies. He likes being with his mom Absolutely. and going to the store. There's moments for everything. There's moments for everything. And there's no reason why that should be excluded from a kid's life. 100%. No, and that's no. why guys like Dave Stanley and Les again, is that without guys that understand rock Merlo, who's coming, right. you know, with the CWA yeah. and their kids programs in California, it's amazing to see the amount of time and effort and elbow grease that goes into these camps oh. and these youth events by these individuals that really don't have they're not making a dime and they don't want a dime. That's right. They don't have a reason to be doing it except they enjoy it and they want to see those kids prosper and go on to live that kind That's of right. responsibility, That's responsible right. life. Yeah, you can't beat that. I mean, at home we do, you know, similar things, the 4-H and so on and so forth, um, you know, and it's nice to see those kids come back. I, there's nothing that gets me more excited. I, take, I took this year to, uh, to use. Uh, 12 years old, bear hunting. Did you say two youths? Youths. 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 Youth. 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 12 youth. <laughs> 12, 12. Okay, so you got two young kids. Two young kids, you know. Um, the one young fellow was 12 years old on his first bear hunt. Uh, he come up there, had no idea what he was getting into. Um, first day, 
get in a quad. Let's go. We get get up there. We get up going in. There's a bear already on the bait, you know. So we slide in. The bear runs off, and he's already shaking, excited. Um, it wasn't very much longer after that, 15, 20 minutes. In behind us, in come a baby, like a, a yearling cub. And this thing was acting like it was 10 feet tall and bulletproof, you know, puffed up, coming around the bottom of our tree stand. Come up our tree. We're sitting in, you know, within five feet of us. And uh, I, I would just love to know what that young fellow was thinking because he was just vibrating with an anticipation and excitement. And, uh, and it wasn't very much longer after that. He harvested his very first bear, which was a seven-foot-three animal, which was a true trophy animal. And, uh, you know, the whole time we were loading that bear, we had other bears in the area. And, and uh, man, just to live through the look of his eyes is why what we do, what we do is why we do it. Yeah, and that's, I think that it's, it's, doesn't matter where you're at. There's hunters doing that every day. Yesterday, 70, yeah. 78 year old friend of mine, Gary Matthias, who was my dad's baseball coach in high school, um, <clears throat> does a lot of uh, landscaping and stuff around the area for myself and other people. And he shows me a picture of his grandson who happened to be at the event yesterday. I got to spend right. some time with his grandson and he said, Hey, my grandson would love to be on your show. I said, well, let me hear you blow this duck call. And he put it to his mouth. And I said, you could be on the show. And he's like, really? What? I'm like, yeah, but what was cool about it is that Gary takes out this picture on his phone and he says, look at that. He says, we're out, we're out of this certain part of Nevada goose hunting. And my right. grandson kills this goose. And he looks at me and says, this is the greatest day of my okay. life, Papa. Yeah. And he means it. And that kid is hooked. I talked to him yesterday and he's 11 and he's like, I cannot wait for October. Absolutely. I cannot wait to get in the boat with grandpa. I can't wait to set up decoys. I yeah. love, and I love that part of it. And you know, you know, you telling stories about first, you know, I've seen my nephews chance and Caden and now chase. I've, I watched chance kill his first mule deer on right. national TV, his first coyote. When he was nine, I saw chase kill yeah. his first, his first, coyote on national tv when he was six he right. called it in and harvested it with a 22 250 savage yeah. with the suppressor on son of a gun 55 grain bullet at 87 yards sitting in uncle alex crosby calls him uncle albie yeah. sitting in between his legs and chase did the rest at six years old you know the the just the composure you yeah. have to keep of a charging coyote, okay and and he's it's teaching them discipline yeah it's teaching them safety oh. it's teaching them focus and everything there's so much that a hunter goes through that people don't get that part of it because right. they think oh we're just out there killing shit yeah. well that couldn't be further from the truth and right to, and to see a six-year-old be hooked on it yeah. and to know what he's going to do for the next 30 40 50 years and then right. he's going to raise his you you know, Utes, and then Utes. and then his, those Utes are going to raise their Utes, and then you're going to have Utes everywhere. Utes. That's what the goal is, right? Yeah, you did, bet. Did you just say Utes? Utes. You said That's Utes my, again. There's my cousin Vinny. Remember Joe Pesci and my cousin Vinny? Two Utes. Yeah. But that it's it's easy to talk about it. Yes. And the last thing I'll say about this part of this conversation is it's easy to talk about it. It's easy to say that you want to get others involved in it. Right. It's easy to say that you want to award or um, allow or allow, uh, I don't even know the word I'm looking for, but you want to take new people hunting or yeah. bring soldiers hunting and say, yeah. thank you for giving back. It's easy to say, oh, I donate money and that's right. awesome. But to truly put in the energy like Dave Stanley or Rocky Merlo or Les Nesbitt or my brother Clay and my brother right. Clint are doing with their sons to, to not just go through the motions, but to get out there and say, hey, here's what being a hunter and a gatherer is all about. Here's what conservation means. Here's what predator management means. Here's right. what harvesting and, and processing and butchering means. To me, there's no better way to live life. That's my opinion. But when I see your daughters feed a horse, ride a horse, 
Be responsible for that horse. Yeah. Then kill a goose. She's in the blind with us. She's going to be on national oh, yeah. TV in two weeks. She's going to be killing ducks and geese. She kills one all on her own and you yeah. go nuts. Oh, oh yeah. And there's nothing more proud for daddy. No, sir. And then she goes home and heart and cleans that. Cleans it. And then we're in and the kitchen. Then we're in the kitchen with the Cajuns and Crystal eating them. Yeah. What, what is better in life? There's no, right. I wonder what the rich people are doing. That's right. Because I don't care how much money you make. If you're not experiencing things like that, then you're doing the wrong things that's with your life. money. And you're doing the wrong things with your family. That, that, that's, that's truly my daughters. You know, I spent every, uh, every first moment with all three of my daughters taking their first white-tailed deer together, each one of them. It was amazing moments in time. My daughter shot her first black bear this year with a bow. Uh, she was 14 years old. That was a moment that burnt in, into my heart, into my mind, my memory for the rest of my life. It was one of those moments when we got on the ground, the world stopped turning for that second. There was nothing you could hear, you could see, you could smell, except for the expression on her face. It was, it was, it was an amazing moment in life. And, and those are the things you take to you when you're, when you're old, 80 years old. And I remember back on a step, one, you know, of the good things in life, those are the days that you can't replace. Yeah, and, I, and it's again, it's easy to say things like yeah. that, but to really get the gist out of it, you know, your kid's first home run, your kid's first pedal on that yeah. bike, all of those experiences could, you know, they're compounded yeah. when it's done in the, in a in a area like that canvas back club. With those memories, to me, are so vital to to know what my dad taught me because now that my dad's gone yeah. some of the biggest me- I don't remember my first home run with my dad right. I don't remember when I when I took my first bike ride but I remember my first antelope yeah. I remember my first fish I caught with him That's right. I remember the fishing derbies I remember learning how to put a bobber on a line I remember catfishing at nighttime with Cecil yeah. a 93 year old black man and my dad he was my dad's best friend right. he took over raising my dad when my dad's dad died right. so all of those memories that I truly that are vivid Cherished. in my head and cherish are the ones in the outdoors. Yeah. I get the bikes. I get oh, the absolutely. sports. I love sports. I'm very competitive. I you get bet. all of that. I'm proud. I go and watch Chance play baseball and Caden yeah. swim and Chase play baseball. And every whether they're success, successful or whether they fail that day, I always yeah. try to tell them one thing, and it's the same in hunting. Learn from it. Yeah. Take something out of the field every day. If you strike That's out right. four times, don't take your offense out on the field. That's right. Take your glove out there and be a good defensive exactly. shortstop or center fielder. Don't let your team down just because you're struggling at the plate. Absolutely. In hunting, you might Same not. Thing. In hunting, you might not have the best day, but take something out Absolutely. of it. Did you make a friendship? Did yeah. you open a door? Did you teach a kid something? Yeah. Did you create a memory with your son or daughter? That's right. And those are the big things that hunting does for me and it's easy to talk about it it's easy to say we're going to do it but until you get in there and really really experience it and see how important it is yeah i would have never thought in a million years my daughter Alyssa would be into it she loves blowing a duck call she loves shooting her bb gun she wants to hunt she doesn't want to be a professional hunter she says daddy i want to do other things i said like what well, you know, maybe own a clothing store, maybe design clothing. Right. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, to be at seven right. years old and have the world in front of you and dreaming, but what? to know that you still want to go shoot a gun yeah. and be around daddy and, and learn how to blow a duck call and how proud she is when she sees the word banded that's or right. the foul life, that to me is what's, that's, that's cool. special to me. Darn right. Now, I understand when I'm at gymnastics with her and I see her do her first balance beam or her first round off, I love it. But to me, it's not as important as her blowing that duck call and saying, daddy, I want to do this with you. That's right. You know, cause there's only so many gymnastic competitions I can watch. That's right. But there's endless amount of days I can spend at the canvas back duck club out on a deck with watching a cold beer, watching eyes. my daughter enjoy herself, painting decoys and all that. It might sound selfish, but I truly think those are the, 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 the most important memories are the ones in the outdoors. You got her outdoors. What we live for. 
you really you so you you think your daughters are on that same wavelength yeah right? they uh they talking you know my daughter's going to college here next year she's going to go she's still up in the air whether it's going to be power engineers or going to go for her hair and the nails or whatever right but one thing she, what gets us going at the table we're eating for supper is she says dad what day is opening goose season you know she loves it just and she's a great hunter. She she was with you on the Fowl Life this this year when you were with us in uh, in Alberta. Yeah, and she, uh, she's on the she made yeah. the cut. And uh, you know stuff like that. Yeah, just to, just to have that in your kids, they'll always come back to it. You know, I may not, you know, be at every hair nails and they're teenagers, so it's all about hairs, nails, boys, and so on and so forth. So you know they get a little on their mom's side doing their thing. But boy, when their daughters come back and say, "Dad, let's go hunting tomorrow," hey, that's my time. That's that's what we live for. So you, you talk about camaraderie, meeting people in, in the camp life, and you get us up there, total strangers. We had had a couple phone conversations. Yes. You were dealing with Randy mainly on, on planning the hunt. Um, um, um is like one of those things. Um, I, I try not to say um a lot, right. but it's one of those deals to where it comes out. It comes out, and you're like right in mid-thought, and you're like, well, I'm going to change that thought. Um, wrong thing to say. But anyway... You, we had a, a pretty diverse group of people up there. We had Eric Larsgaard wow. from Bandit, JP yeah. from Benelli, Scott Dahl from Anheuser Busch, Randy Christensen who runs with me. Then you had you had our camera crews with Tyson and Zach, and, right? And it was, and Chad Belding and, and Chad Belding. And, <laughs> and, and so we're we, we're up there, and you got all these different characters in camp now. But for the most part, it was it, it's one of those things that when you have a TV show coming up to hunt, some people do it different than we do. Right? We might go a little bit extreme with it. But I think that things went pretty smooth, yeah. didn't they? You guys did it very professional. Uh, your crew, your camera crew boys, man, I'll tell you what, you had your team, the team that you ran with were just super awesome guys. I actually uh, stay in touch with Randy quite often. We talk. Um, uh, Zach as well. He just got married, uh, I think it was yesterday, um, so on and so forth. These are just good guys. Uh, the way they perform themselves out in the field, uh, they do you proud. These guys work hard. They do a great job. I mean, and having Crank Camp uh, out helping us anytime that we needed help, you know, Zach out there was first one, like, hey, can we give you a hand, you know, or, you know, so on and so forth. Um, to meet JP was a great Scott. I mean, those guys are just straight up awesome guys. Scott's already booked a group for this coming September. Yeah, he booked a group of guys. Uh, Six or seven guys coming yeah, up there. Yeah. Him and Randy, his brother, and some of their buddies in Budweiser yeah. and, and from that part of Iowa and South Dakota. And that's what it does. They get up there, they get that experience, that cooking, that lodge life, yeah. the cold beers, everything that went into that. Scott can go hunt anywhere he wants in the world. You bet. And he's coming back coming up back. to take them. You bet. And so that shows you that it works. Yeah. If you do things right and you take care of those little pieces of the puzzle, yeah. it works. And now you have lifelong friendships with somebody like Scott Dollar, Randy Christensen, J.P. Fisher from Benelli. Right. Now you're saying Zach Frazee. And, yeah. and you stay in touch with all of these guys. We stay in touch. You're always texting me pictures of your of your bears and of your deer and of your wolves and, and saying, Hey, I can't wait to get you boys yeah, back up here. And it's authentic. And, and, you know, when we get in, when we're in that blind, there was a lot of cutting up and a lot of, you know, <laughs> what, what we have coming up is we have the first two episodes of season 10 of the foul life. Right. They go to air, they premiere on July 2nd, 2018 on the outdoor channel. Yeah. And the first two episodes are 100% with take them outfitters with you, your family, um, the, the, the experiences, you know, there was a lot of behind the scenes work that we did, you know, like one of the opening scenes with the combine from the yeah. drone, you called one of your farming buddies said, Hey, are you Elias. harvesting? And we stayed in touch with Elias up there. Yeah. And he's like, Hey, I'm going to harvest <clears throat> this afternoon. Boom. Yeah. Went up there and got some really slick stuff. Yeah. Elias is actually pretty excited, uh, uh, to see the combine on, uh, on the film and the TV show. It, and it looks really sharp. The boys got out there and they did that very professionally. And, uh, you know, it's just stuff like that. The little things for details, what makes 
the foul life stand out when you sit there and watch that show it's like wow you know you get the feeling just from the tv you know from what you're seeing on you know it makes you want to get out there put your boots on grab your gun let's go hunting and what about having Earl in the blind with oh, us? Hey, Earl just texted me about 20 minutes ago here. It's just, uh, he's like, Clay, we need to go fishing. Uh, uh, Earl's just, you know, he is uh, a mentor when it comes to bird hunting. He's been bird hunting long before my time. Uh, he's done everything from the time that uh, decoys were still, uh, in my country, were old tires. Um, that's kind of what they ran with or a piece of cutout cardboard, so on and so forth. Um, but he knows, he knows geese. If, if, I, if I need someone to find me a goose field or will find me a goose field and he'll find me one he'll find me six and he's just a, he's just a local buddy up there yeah. or does he guide for you or he's just yeah a, he gets in in amongst does it a little bit of everything uh he he's he just loves to be a part of a goose hunt uh you know i i like to get earl in in amongst the hunters and let him hunt with the guys it's just you know it's my thank you back to earl he's he works hard um and he loves bird hunt he could bird hunt every day he was talking about his decoy spread and his homemade silhouettes oh, yeah. with the cardboard. And he's like, you know, they're pretty cheap, eh? Yeah, and a. What does A mean? A. What's A mean? Y'all. It's about the same as y'all kind of thing. <laughs> really? Right? No. Yeah. I don't know. Y'all is... come back. Now, A is kind of like y'all say it at the beginning. You guys having a good day? Yeah, well, you know, we went over to the park, A. Eh? And I'm like, okay, A. Like, yeah. hey. You know it's... what that thing is, A? Eh? You know, it's, it's like, I don't know if it's like, you just, you just end every sentence, question, comment, feeling, thought, whatever it is, you end it with a, but it's, it's a Canadian thing. I think some people maybe in Northern North Dakota might, you know, say it a little bit, right. maybe Northern Minnesota have a little bit of that a, Not in them. Nevada, though. but Earl, when he, when Earl says a, I was loving it. Like he was just like, uh, what's your favorite thing to drink, Earl? Budweiser, the king of beers, eh? Yeah. And I was okay. just like, God. Yeah. I mean, it was like on cue with one of our greatest part, you know, our great partners, Anheuser-Busch. Yeah. We didn't tell him to say that. Yeah. What's your favorite thing? Because we were going, I wanted to get to know him. Yeah. Uh, you like sushi? No. no. What's your favorite thing? <laughs> what, what's your favorite thing to eat? Moose, eh? Yeah, and moose, just, eh? And when you see that on the show and people watch that blind interaction, I want to I, I be good at that. I want yeah. our team to be good at catching the feeling yeah. and the essence of that hunt. And Capturing it. Because sure. I don't give a, I, I mean, I can only watch so many ducks. I love it. Yeah. I love calling ducks. I love interacting with ducks and geese and calling them and communicating yeah. in the vocabulary. I love the shooting. I love the dog work. I love the decoys. But there's just something about sitting in a blind and, and, and telling stories and getting to know yeah. somebody like Earl and, and hearing all the different ways to say A. And that's what I go to Canada for. Yeah. I, don't get me wrong. Again, I go Absolutely. there for the ducks and the geese. But the people up there are awesome. Yeah. Old Earl, speaking of that, you know, just getting him out in the blind, getting him in the field. If you ever watch Earl show up, set up decoys, it could be snowing on the ground minus two degrees. And Earl's standing there in a jean jacket and, uh, you know, usually he's smoking a cigarette. But uh, he never wears a toque. He never wears a baseball hat. He just wears a blue jean. And I'll tell you what, he makes me cold just looking at him. But I'll tell you, I've known him for well, a long period of my life. And it's just old Canadian way. He's just a tough, tough bird hunter and, and, and a very very good one. I, I saw that in him. What I really liked about him is that he was just there to work and to help. And he's kind of laid back and he, yep. did, he wasn't trying to, he just didn't, he just wanted to be there for the hunt. Yep. All of it from the scouting the night before Everything. to being a part of that process. And to me, that's, that's key, man. Yep. Like you got to have guys that still have that passion. Earl's probably in his mid fifties. Would yeah, you say he doesn't care to impress anybody? He just loves what he does and he loves to be a part of it. Yeah. And you, I, I was so surprised. I was blown away because yeah. I didn't know that locals hunted them. I really, I, I, I very rarely in my 15 years of being able to hunt Canada, I think I started going there in 0102 with Freddie. 
meeting Grant Kuypers and the guys up in Saskatchewan, Buck Paradise. I've very rarely met a local that loves right. it. Grant loves it, yeah. but Grant outfits for yeah. it. You that, love it, we, but you outfit right. for that's it. That's so right. That's why we started doing what we do. I don't think I've ever been to a Canadian outfit, and I've only been to you, and I've only been to Grant. Right. right? My buddy Dave Stanley again had kill him, but um, he's not really doing it anymore. But I don't think I've ever been in camp with a group of Canadians. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it happens. No, I don't. Uh, so I think we hunted our first six groups last year before we even heard our first shot amongst anyone else in my field. And uh, in, and your when area, I, in your area. Yeah. And, and when I say that, I mean, we hunt a very wide area, big area, and uh, we hunt every day, every day. Good days, bad days, sunshine, rain, we hunt every day. That, that just blows my mind. Yeah. And to see his 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 excitement level for hunting oh yeah and to be able to catch that on the cameras and a lot of people you know that watch the show might think that we need to show more hunting we need to show more killing and i get those comments all yeah. the time and i i get it when you're waiting for another episode of your favorite hunting show whether it's yeah. bone collector or or jim shock you probably do want to see the harvest but i want to get people more ingrained on what's going on throughout the camp it's and the, nice to see i think i think that if somebody sees Earl, how excited a 55, 60 year old man yeah. can get about going oh, out on a goose hunt, dude. being from Canada, being a farmer, being a hard worker. And he's a Renaissance guy that you say can fix a tire, fix a, fix a truck mechanically, go mend a fence, go do yeah. whatever you need him to do. He's not chasing money. He's nope. not chasing notoriety. He's chasing that feeling that he's chasing that hunt. He lives for it. He lives for it. And I loved him. And, and yeah. that was some of my favorite part of those hunts is that blind interaction, your personality, your sense of humor. Like the, one of the t- things that stands out is when Randy Christensen comes walking back with that. What look at guys, a black duck. And he's all excited. Like, I'm like, I got excited. I don't see a lot of black ducks. I've, I've killed my fair share and been on my fair share of hunts that have we've harvested them. But Randy hadn't. And when he saw it, and you know you com- you complement that with the quills that w- the quill lake geese we right. were killing up there, and you're like, what'd you call that? And Randy's like, a black duck. Why? What do you call it? And you're like, a mallard. And, and, <laughs> a mallard. And then you go without skipping a beat. You go, if you would have called it a widgeon, I would have called it a widgeon too, or yeah, something like that. And, that's right. You know the things that people are going to see on there <laughs> are exactly what we experienced at Takeem, and we wanted to show. And again, it's a lot of work to get that, to be, to get, keep the cameras rolling. We ask a lot out of our videographers. They're working nonstop and they, 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 they put in so much more than what they get out of it. And I, we try to reward them, but to get what Tyson and Zach were catching up there is the natural setting, the natural setting of the cooking and the, and the, in the smack talk and in the ribbing. I, I don't think I've ever been to a duck camp or been in, in the, in the woods of Arkansas or in a blind in Oklahoma or Texas or California. Anywhere in the country, anywhere in Canada, I'm getting ready to go to Argentina next month. There's always going to be smack talking. Yeah. There's always going to be ribbing. There's always oh, going to be that constant. That's a part of it, though. That's what guys do. That's the locker room. That's the locker room. It. It'd be boring. Yeah. And I and I love that part of it. And there's there's times to be serious. There's conversations Absolutely. and business yeah. talks that go on. But I think that when people watch these first two episodes and they get a sense of you know the first one's called Take Them Dreaming, yeah. Take Them Outfitters mixed with Dreaming because. Yeah. It's a dream for a lot of guys to experience what we experience. And when they watch it, I want to make sure that they understand that these weren't special fields being held for Chad Belding and the foul life. This is everyday occurrence for you. You work hard, you find the field, you put your hunters on them. Our hunts were probably a little bit more difficult per se, because I wouldn't call the shot. We could have been out of there a lot sooner if we were just hunting. Yeah. Like (laughs) was I wearing you out? I'm telling you, it was, 
you know, when you got a camera crew out there, you got to look at what you got going on. I mean, we can normally get in a field in an hour. We'll be we'll be wrapping up heading home. But with the big foul life, we got eight cameras in the field. You know, we got to hide eight cameras. So how you hide, hide eight cameras in a stubble field? Well, you got to get creative. So you get creative. And then you got two camera guys. You got the hunters. You got Chad. You know, so I mean, but you know what? I love the challenge. The challenge is so awesome. And then at the end of the morning's hunt and everything came together and, and you just laid it out and, and, and you do what you do best. You make the foul life. And we all know what it looks like on a TV. It's just absolutely one of the best waterfowl hunting TV shows on the market. And when you get to be a part of that, it doesn't get much better than that. I mean, I stand out of the way, let Chad and his boys do what they do. I mean, I, I get them to where they need to be, and, and they take it from there, and, and that's what they do best. And I appreciate that. And there's things that, you know, there's different theories and different approaches to hunting. And, like, one day we drove into the field, and you're like, well, I want to set up here because this is where I'd set up with my clients. And I'm like, well, I think we right. should set up here because TV. making TV is different. Correct. And when, you, when you're on the same page and the respect level's there, I understand what outfitting is. Yep. I've guided. I've outfitted. I've scouted. I've put people yep. on birds. I'm not the best at it. I, I, well, I felt that I was pretty good, good at it. good days and bad days. Yeah, and I felt that I was pretty good at it. But to, to know that you have the understanding of what it takes to make a quality TV show, I want to make quality entertainment. I pride our studio and our videographers and our editors and our field producers and our color correction and our yep. audio and everything that we do before we – all we do – outside of the studio we do everything 100 percent internally here from the field production to the the camera guys are our employees to the the equipment is ours right. to the editing to the post-production to the music yeah. if you listen to the music on oh. our shows from from zach brown zach to brown. jamie johnson and drake white jamie and johnson. leith lofton and northern exposure and right and and we have some of the top music talent on our shows and i think that that not only develops credibility in the viewer's mind that whoa this is good music and it's entertaining and it just adds that feel of what music that's the setting music can get you ready for a fight music can get you ready to deliver a speech music people rely on music one of the most important uh things in your life when it comes to any emotion I mean, you, it's a sense. It should be a sense instead of a smell and a sight. It should music is it'll bring back a memory instantly, right? Music is is creative I to the hearing, setting, yeah. right? You get the right music in the right setting. I'll tell you what. Sit down, pour me another beer. Let's watch a show. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying is that you 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 like today when I showed you that clip and Sweet yeah. Annie comes on from Zach Brown Band, it sets the tone. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh my god, I, I remember that. I remember going to that right. concert with my first girlfriend, right. or I remember being with my daughter at her first dance recital. Whatever right. it is, it does. It sparks a memory. And and from our back to what I was saying about our production is that I want people to look at those episodes and hear that music, mm-hmm. taste that food. That's right. Feel that seat under their ass while they're driving in the truck with us. You know, no, feeling how cold it is in the blind, how brisk it is when that's that right. snow. We got some of the most beautiful footage of mallards oh. coming through that snow and oh. trying to come into our come into our decoy spread, yeah. and it, it's it, it's such a great way to kick off the year. And when people watch the first couple episodes coming up, again, it's Foul Life season ten, which we're very proud of. July second, Outdoor Channel. We're here right now with the owner of Take Em Outfitters, Clay Charlton, who him and his family, I said, his wife Crystal and their three beautiful daughters, hosted us last October 2017 to pretty much kick off our 17-18 season. And we were able to document four or five days of just awesome experiences of the Canadian bush country up there by Bonneville, northeast, somewhere in that area yeah, of Alberta. <laughs> and to get 
what we got, we were very humbled. And to have Clay be able to fly down here from Alberta, I told him that Nevada was on his way to New Orleans, and he <laughs> fell for it. And he, so he gets off the plane in Nevada, in Reno, Nevada, and looks at a map, and he's like, "I'm nowhere near New Orleans. Oh, you got to go east, son." And so, but to be able to catch that, I want the viewers to see that when they turn on the TV in July and they watch those episodes and they get to know Clay, yeah. I want them to say. I got to go there. Yeah. Not to say, oh, it worked and, and we've advertised for clay. Yeah. Because advertising a hunting spot, you can do it in a lot of ways. You can do it on YouTube yeah. if you want. And I want them to get the true feeling of it. I don't want them just to book a hunt because they're going to get the slaughter mallards. I want them to go up there because they're going to get to do what we did yeah. and experience Earl right. and experience Crystal and yeah. experience that food. And hopefully they're in camp, happen to be up there when some Cajuns are just, just leaving yeah. and there's some leftover gumbo right. for them to try. Oh, man, I tell you what, you know. Um, yeah, it's it's a, it's a gratifying both ways, Chad. Uh, you know, I've been doing it 12 years. Uh, we've never had to advertise to get ourselves a, a client through the door. It's it's our, our friends going back, our clients going back, going, hey, we did this to one friend, and they show three, and they show six, and next thing you know, you're booked up for the year, and it's been so on and so forth for the last 12 years. Um, and then I got the opportunity to uh, have Chad foul life in camp, and uh, I've watched the foul life on tv now i'm going back several years ago yeah wild tv right never the, i remember the watching that one of the first episodes you were shooting ducks over water and the upbeat of the show and 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 just the way you know you guys work the calls and and so on and so forth and if i had sat on that chair that day and somebody walked up to me and said those boys are going to come up and hunt with you one day i would have just fell off my chair and laughed right it was just not happening but to where i was in 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 where we are today with take them outfitters you know, I'm humbled and proud to have someone like you, the TV that you guys produce, the, the quality of boys that you bring with you. You know, for me, that's, to me, it's as good as it gets. Um, to do it for advertising, you, you know, that's a part of it. But for me, it's a part of what we do, my legacy, and, and what Take Em Outfitters do is to have someone like Chad, the TV show with boys, come up and hunt with us. You know, I do it more just to say that we get to know him, to hang out with him personally the whole nine yards, to have that friendship, you know, that business is on the other side of that, but you know what we do and, and to move forward, coming back again this year, we're, we're overwhelmed with it. Yeah. And I, and that's the thing is, and I want to tell you that we get invited by tons of outfitters Correct. to come. And one of the first things I do, and it might sound, I don't, I don't want it to come across arrogant, right. but I don't want to hunt with outfitters that just want our TV show to market their, right. their, their hunting. And I know that you've been booked up for years, but what drives me nuts is when I hear an outfitter say, you know, the foul life is here. And then we got this show coming in after we had these guys here last week to me that they, they don't care who advertises right. them. They don't care about, are there relationships after, yep. or is it just a game of getting your name out there That's and marketing right. and showcasing and promotion? That's fine. But I want to hunt with somebody like you or Grant Kuypers that really is picky on what TV crews Correct. they bring in there. Yeah. I don't want, if you watch the years of the foul life, we don't hunt with a ton of outfitters. Yeah. We hunt with a ton of friends, right. a lot of boots on the ground that have invited us to their places. And we've developed these lifelong relationships with, I don't want it to be just something to where we're another TV show Correct. that, because yeah. this guy in California is watching the show and he's like, Oh, I just saw this outfitter on another right. episode of this one. Well, I want to be like, Hey, Clay and Chad are friends. That's they right. got a, they got a strong partnership and we have that with the outfitters that we have. That's with. right. And you know, and, and I bet you a lot of your, uh, your viewers, uh, your fan base, they like to see, uh, 
the relation, long-term relationship. They like to see you hunt, hunt, you know, with one. They're like, man, that show you just made there in, in, in Nebraska or wherever you're hunting at that time was awesome. I can't wait to next year he makes another episode in the same area, you know, because it was just a home run. Um, you know, we get a lot of in uh, we get a lot of emails from different episodes. There's a lot of TV shows on on the networks nowadays, uh, and there's a lot of them. Not of them, not all of them are uh, cut out of the same piece of cloth, if you will. Um, and you know, we're very selective as well as who we have come through the door. Um, the Foul Life has been a huge. Uh, we've been a huge fan of the Foul Life since day one. I mean, we on, on our TV show, we sat down and watched it from our houses. You know, before I had the lodge, the whole nine yards, before we had any kind of clientele. Um, but it's what we do, and we love to be a part of what you do. You do a wonderful job. Uh, just to be a part of that is is to be. It's it, you know, I'm a biggest fan of Foul Life, just the way it is. And I think you know, I, I truly appreciate the words and the and the compliments. And I think that it's. I want you know. Again, I don't want to sound like we're the best, but we feel that we do things different and we want to work Stand with outfitters out. that see that and that appreciate that and that don't just settle for just anything. And right. they want to get that feel and the essence of their service or their business. And that's why I say no to a lot of them. I don't tell a lot of them that, but being transparent and honest is one of the main reasons I say no Correct. is because I've seen them on another you know, one of our competitors or another show, which that's fine. Yeah. If you're an outfitter and a businessman and you're looking for promotion, that's fine. Yeah. But I want to, I want to get in bed and I want to build relationships with outfitters that care about what we do yeah. and that they're loyal to us. That's right. Because long-term it's easy, loyal. It, long-term loyal. It's easy for you guys to just bring in, you're getting, oh, yeah. you get calls from other shows. Yes, sir. I, I want to work with somebody that tells other shows. No, if you mm-hmm. want me to be that's frank right. and honest, I want them to understand that we are bringing the entire package of, the entire platform of marketing to their, yes. to, and what we can do for their, their, uh, their operation. And to do that, we need to be, have outfitters that yeah. are loyal to us, yeah. you know, that really take care of us when we're there yeah. and stay in touch with us throughout That's the year. Right. The beliefs, we share the same beliefs. We were on the same page. Uh, we're the, the end result. We're all looking for the same thing, you know, quality in your face. You see the colors of them birds, well, you can do this all from the, you know, the seat of your couch, you know, while she's snowing and blowing outside minus 40 in the middle of a winter day or the 30, 300 degrees in the middle of Nevada. I mean, this is what we all wait for. Turn that TV on and watch that. And, and it makes you feel like you're, you're in that blind because, you, you know, season's only so long and you get to watch it right from your home in the middle of the off season is, is the coolest thing ever. Yeah. And the, and the other thing about the TV part of it is that we've, are going on to our 121st, 122nd, 123rd episodes of the Foul Life. And I mean, wow. when you see, we'll watch it tonight. I've been trying to hold off yeah. on you because I don't know if I want to show you the first two episodes in their entirety, but I think it'd be cool to sit yeah, around sure my brother's be. night and watch them. Um, and then you can go back and, 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 you know, get Earl and everybody ready for it. But, and again, you know, it's not perfect TV. It's not Steven Spielberg stuff, but we try to set ourselves apart and we want, we want you to be able to go to your wife and your wife's family and your mom and dad and say, Hey, I'm having, I just saw these, I'm having a kickoff party. I can't wait to show up because I want, I want to work with outfitters and people that are proud. You mentioned before that, you know, it's that guy on the combine. I can't wait to see the drone shot. Well, I love that part of it, that landowners are so prideful in their farming and what they do and the the livelihood they made to give them the ability to buy that land. We can't do it without those farmers. Right. 
And they get pride in us hunting Absolutely. on the land. Not, they don't even come on the hunt. No. They just want to see the episode because I harvest, I, I manicured that land. Yeah. I farm that land. I own that land. That's, I, that's right. because of me. I gave those guys permission to hunt yeah. it. And there are, you're exactly right. They're a big part of it. And, Huge relationship. And that's what I wanted with, with us and our business relationships. And I do, I get frustrated sometimes when people tell me, you know, you're the only TV show that we hunt with. And then the next thing you know, yeah. they feel the need to go out. And that's their right. Yeah. But that's the end of it for yeah. us. And it might sound it might sound like, Hey, you, you're not afraid. We're not trying to burn a bridge. Yeah. We're just trying to say that we feel that we bring the overall package to the yeah. table and we want people to be loyal to us. Well, that's right. I mean, we love having you fly our flag when it comes to bird hunting, duck hunting, goose hunting. I mean, the foul life flies the flag for us and we're proud of that. Uh, you know, and, and you surround yourself in good people, good things happen. And you know, when you, these guys come up, the foul life shows up and there's a two trucks and a trailer that's tandem axle full of gear. And you're like, Oh my God, what's going on here? You know, at the end of the day, at the end of the week, you're like, these guys are true, truly professional. They do what they do on a level that sets a bar that stands out and we're a part of it. And we couldn't be more grateful of it. And I, and you know, and we want to come back. We yeah. are coming back. You sure invite us. We've already got our dates. I'm excited because when I meet somebody like crystal and in the, in the interactions that we had initially going into it, and they're just, you know, hey, the paperwork's this, the yeah. the licensing is this, the directions are this. And now, you know, this year is going to be even better because that oh, relationship matures. You've right. got to come down and hang mm -hmm. out with my friends and family and see what I do. Correct. I've got to know you better. Yeah. We, I can't wait to get around the Cajuns again. Yeah. I want to go to Louisiana with you so bad oh, yeah. tomorrow and fish. Um, but that's what this lifestyle does. Yeah. It's it, it, the 90% of my contacts on my phone are because of duck hunting. Yeah. 90% of the conversations I have aren't Absolutely. always about hunting, but they're because of hunting. Something, something to do with it or from it. Or from it. And that common thread, that common bond, it, 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 it humbles me, and I'm very humble. I, I, I am quiet sometimes. I am reserved sometimes. I, I've built a wall up that I tell people sometimes because I don't want people to ever get the impression that I want to be the limelight or I want to be right. the guy in the spotlight. I, hate, I don't hate it. I'll, live, I'll shoulder it. I enjoy what yeah. I do. I'm grateful for it. I'm humbled by it. But without guys like you and your wife and your daughters and, and Janelle and, and, yeah. and Earl and JP coming right. up there and Randy and Scott and Tyson and Zach and Tom Ratching, my brother Clay and right. Clinton, all of the pieces of this puzzle, I can name thousands of people that are involved in it from Banded to Avery to Avery Sporting Dog right. to Greenhead Gear to all of the clothing and apparel that we make and Christian and Eric and Rick and Chuck and Brandon and Todd and Joel. And I could just keep naming yeah. people and name dropping because you can't do any of it by yourself no. and you don't take credit for what you do. And I don't, I don't want to take all the credit for what is going on within no, our organization. It takes a good team. It takes a good all team. And, 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 and sometimes you got to weed through them and you're going to, I've taken a lot of shit for, yeah. you know, Oh, he's doing this or he's doing things right. different and that's fine. I'll shoulder it. Yeah. I'm not afraid to shoulder it. It's people that want to hate on it. Just come to camp one time or come and hang out and come do the podcast or come experience a concert with us or just come be friends with us and get to know us that's going to be the deciding factor in whether or not you're going to have the means or the want or the desire to go and bang us up online or go do something that's, that, that, that's negative towards us or take them or whatever it is. There's going to be haters, right? Hey, haters are going to hate. Well, you, you can't be good. You can't be great without having dislike. You see what I mean? I mean, you can't please everybody. Uh, it's just a part of the game, right? You're going to be good. You're going to be great. You're going to have people that just think a little opposite sometimes. And, you know, there's always jealousy involved with everything. But, 
you know, you just look the other way and you just keep on keeping on and, 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 you know, you know who you stand for, you know, your morals, you know what you do. Um, yeah. And you just move forward and you surround yourself in good people and good people make good things happen. And I agree with that. And I think that if you just stay focused and you keep your drive and you never close yourself off to an opportunity that you think is going to benefit. Now, again, I'm not afraid to say no to an opportunity that I don't think is going to be positive for everybody or that I don't feel is going to be loyal to us. I want loyalty. And once that's established and you get to know somebody, the sky's the limit for friendships and family and vibes. And me and you've already talked about you guys coming down to Lake Tahoe. We've already talked about me bringing Alyssa up to take them and and, and going horseback riding with your daughters and experiencing the Canadian bush and going fishing and catching a pike and catching a pickerel, which is a walleye, (laughs) walleye, walleye. but all of that is because we felt something in you there. I'm telling you, you can ask Randy. I I, I want the more that I talked to you on the phone, the more I got to know you, the more I got to see your operation. And then especially after going into year two, it'll be consistent friendship. Absolutely. And there's things that there's trials and tribulations of any relationship that you got to work at them. You got to communicate. You got to, you got to nurture them. You got to, you got to mold them, right? It's a relationship, man. It's, it's just like being, if you will, married or in a, in a boyfriend, girlfriend relationship is communication. There's trust, there's, there's loyalty. There's, there's all kinds of stuff that built in there and it, it works all around it. Uh, you know, and, and always be honest. It's just, this the way it is. This is what we got to deal with today, right? So what are your expectations? What are my expectations? How are we going to make this show happen today? You know, if it's snowing, if it's blowing, if, you know, if it's raining, if just things aren't working right, the light's not right. Uh, you know, the, one of the biggest challenges I remember about having to follow life with us last year, and it's something that I've been doing for 12 years. So, and doing very well, but never once thought of. And, and it was a moment we were going to go on a duck hunt. And uh, we had smashed the geese in the morning and we were looking for some ducks. And Chad comes up and he says, the lighting's wrong, right? And I'm like, what do you mean the lighting is wrong? He's like, the light's not right. I'm like, okay, <laughs> what are we going to do about that, right? And uh, it was one of those things. We said, okay, we can all come to a conclusion and agreement. We said, we're going to go set up. And if this cloud doesn't take off, you know, we're not going to be able to do anything. We're going to have to hold off. And sure enough, the cloud messed off and the boys lit it up. And I'll tell you what, what a show they put on. And, but it was one of those things that as an outfitter, what we do and what we do well is something I never thought of as what a producer of a TV show does and does well. As simple thing as that cloud hanging over top of us was causing a bit of an interference of what we were looking for for that specific day. You know, we had so many hunts that went well, but that day we were looking for a show that would put on some good light on a good duck, on a good color. And yeah, it just blew my mind. And I think that you hit it right on the head there is that it, it would have been easy to say, you know, we're going to hunt today. Yeah. We're going, no matter what, we're going to go kill them. Yeah. And here's the deal. And I've learned it through being around good duck hunters is that sunshine's everything for a mallard duck. Now, yeah. as an outfitter and that guy's paying money, you're going hunting. You can't pick and choose your days. Right. Right. And as the, as the client... You're in an outfitter wakes up and says, Hey, it's not sunny. We're not going. You're going to lose a client. Right. He's going to be like, Oh, bull, yeah, we're right. going hunting. Absolutely. Well, as a producer of a TV show, I've had to give up that just stack them up That's attitude, right. you know, that cordwood attitude yeah. that we're going to the grind them all day. The number game. I had to, I have to say, Hey, we're in the entertainment business. Yeah. We're in the marketing business. We're, we're, right. we're showcasing product. Well, uh, with my mojos in the field and my partnership with Mojo That's and Terry right. Demon, I have to make sure that if we're going to have ducks over the top of us in a pea field in Alberta, Canada, 
I want them in the decoys. I want, I want the them back flapping. That's right. Beautiful green heads. That's why I go later in October That's with right. you. So they're plumaged out more. Right. I don't want to be killing brown ducks. Where right. I know that we could go decoy thousands of ducks in September. That's right. I want to decoy them in October. And colored up to twisted tails and and you do it and you do it right. And and that grew a lot of appreciation that moment in time. And something like I said, right, you know, yeah. a few minutes ago was I didn't expect that. I mean, the lighting's wrong. What are you talking about, right? For a second, and 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 you learn that appreciation of the history I've known of Chad on the foul life. Why would I kept question him? I mean, the man knows what he's talking about, and 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 so we did. We made an agreement that if it wasn't going to work out, we were just going to go sit up for nothing and watch the ducks fly around us at twenty feet until the sun popped back out, and it did. It sure did. And then, I mean, the boys, JP, Scott, them boys just lit it up, and and what a hunt. that was a great hunt. And I think that. For you to be able to realize that and not argue it and not say, hey, we're going no matter what, yeah. that you just, if you back off, if you pump the brakes a little bit, and it took me years to realize that too, that yeah. I was always so stressed out. We got to get all the footage. We got to get all the footage that we can. And then I'm like, you know what? There's more important parts of a freaking duck right. hunt than there are of just killing these ducks. That's right. And once I learned that and turned that, you know, turned that, <clears throat> made that transition and turned the corner, I, I got more relaxed. I yeah. was better on camera. I felt better. I was more confident. I was easier going. Right. I wasn't as stressed out. I was easier to be around in camp because before it was just like, if the, if, the, if mother nature's not cooperating, if we're not killing all these ducks, we're not, but now it's like, Hey, let's film a cooking segment. That's right. Let's go scouting. Let's yeah. go see the horses. That's right. Let's go with Janelle and clean some birds. Let's go figure out what, you know, we went out with the machetes from Elk Ridge right. and we cut all the limbs off to hide the panel blind the next day. Oh, speaking of those Elk Ridge, not to cut you off, Chad, but I just have to tell you one thing. I've been bear hunting for many years and I had every guide in my camp fighting me for my one Elk Ridge machete I had from you from bird season, and I hope to go home with some. They are truly a machete of machetes. Oh, yeah, we'll get with Jason Landmark and get you set up. They are. that The, the, the equipment and the, the – we, we have two episodes coming out on season 10 of The Foul Life in Kansas with my good buddy Mitch Yoder, Matt, and Tyler at Kansas Hunts where Jason Landmark and his son Eric – Jason's the president and CEO of Master Cutlery in Elk Ridge, and he came down and brought a bunch of prototypes and new stuff. And I, I love I love their product line. Their machetes are awesome oh. and saws and – they're just useful. They're, they're, they're tools that hunters are going to use. You know, I've had a few machetes. It's crazy we're talking about machetes right now, but I've had a few machetes in, in, in bear camp and we're riding the bikes. And after, uh, you know, sometimes in May we get a dirty snowstorm. And, and every poplar tree that's the size of your thumb or, or, and smaller is bent over on your trail. And so there's a lot of trimming all the time, always going on. And, and a good machete is, is definitely needed. I mean, you're drilling down and you're getting this tree slapping you in the face or your client in the face, so you got to stop. And, and usually there's one, there's 50 you know, but those, those machetes, uh, I'll tell you what, they were slick. They are, they are. And you know, when, when you're, when everything that comes together and, and you have an understanding of what we need as a TV show, and we have the confidence to have you talking about our partners and, and, mm-hmm. and, and given that showcasing of, Hey, you know, an outfitter that makes his living, that his revenue, his family's well being comes from the, his success in the field. And you rely on what we bring to the table. And now you're a fan of an Elk Ridge it knives or, well. or a Traeger grill or a Benelli or a black cloud or a, or a right. banded jacket. Yeah. That all of all of that is the moving parts of this yeah. industry and this friendship and this relationship and there's there's so many things that come out of that one phone call of like Absolutely. and then once that trust and that respect is garnered and established there that's what I meant Clay is that the sky's the limit now right. what can we work out is there going to be something to where you and all your guides are wearing banded someday and that's endorsing right. our gear line is it going to be to where we bring another maybe real tree or right. maybe we bring Tyler and Denny from Traeger up to take yeah. them. 
we have the confidence in your place now because we've taken the time to do it. And we expect the same from you. We expect loyalty out of you to where it's not just, we're just not another TV show. And in me saying that some people are going to hear that and go, who the hell does he think he is to tell an outfitter of who you're allowed to bring up? I'm not, if if you, that's your discretion. If you choose to do it, then I can choose to do things my way. Right. But if we're on the same page, a lot of good things can happen. A lot of big doors can open. Hey, that's right. And you know, to me, it's, when you get the right, right product, whether it be an Elk Ridge knife, uh, machete, you know, I believe in things that work well. Uh, I'm not someone to sit in front of anybody and tell you that this is what you need, knowing in the back of my mind it's not the quality that it's supposed to be. So, you know, when I talk about that machete, that machete is truly awesome. I'm, you know, it's great what it does. That trigger grill, that's unbelievable. Listen, I haven't started. We have not fired up our barbecue since October of 2017. It is now, what is it, June of 18. We have not started it up. That trigger is on, I think it's called Traeger. I think you say Traeger. Are you talking about a trigger on a gun or are you talking about a Traeger? <laughs> My wife gives me a hard time every time too, but I'll tell you what. But, but Crystal even told me she loves them because oh, she can start it up no problem hey, and throw meat on it. Everybody loves them things. Listen, I'm probably, I've had, since you showed, I brought that one to camp, there's probably been five of my buddies that went and got one out of the city. They're just truly awesome. Um, but anyways, yeah, that, that quality is, it matters to us. And that's what got us to where we are is the quality. I mean, if we didn't have quality in our decoys, we wouldn't have had our first customers. If we wouldn't have quality in our hunting, we wouldn't have had the second hunters. You know, if we wouldn't have had quality in everything we do, we wouldn't have had you come back. You know, so that being said, are, you know, vice versa, the quality in what you do is what matters to us as well. And I think that you hit it on the head again there. And that's one of the main reasons why I said what I said about the loyalty to us is that when you see the product that we put out, I want you to have the mindset that there's nothing else that we need. That's right. Now, if we went up there and we said, hey, we're going to bring national TV exposure and marketing and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to do this on social media and I'm going to bring Benelli, but Benelli doesn't show up and I'm going right. to send you a Traeger, but it never came. <clears throat> Um, you're, you're going to have awesome TV exposure on the outdoor channel, the number one outdoor network in the world. And then all of a sudden you look at the TV show and go, that's it. That's right. I would feel like an idiot and I don't want that. That's why we go above and beyond. That's why we work hard. And that's why we expect transparency and communication and honesty and loyalty. Absolutely. And if we didn't have that loyalty and I saw that you were willing to bring up somebody that didn't put as much effort into us and they were being allotted the same things that Chad Belding or foul life and what we're allotted, then I would be like, Hey, something's not jiving here. And I don't, that, that's not going to happen with us because we're already on the same page. And that's why it's worked out. You coming down here, seeing the canvas back, meeting my circle of people that I'm third generation here. I was born and raised here. I'm proud to be from here, even though I do like places in this world better. I still come back home. I have my daughter here, my mom here, my brothers here, their families, my nephews, my nieces, my friends. Um, Reno, Nevada. Nevada. And I love it. In Lake Tahoe, I'm gonna take you up to Lake Tahoe in a little bit. We're getting ready to go to my buddy's restaurant, That's the crazy. Joint, for sushi. You're gonna, oh, you're gonna, oh. you're gonna flip out when you see how fresh our fish is here. We're only, we're only three hour drive from the coast in San yeah. Francisco, and but the friendship that we have, there'll be more podcasts, there'll be more yeah. hunts, but most importantly, there's going to be more family time. Your family's going to come down here. We're going to come up there. And it. that's what hunting does. Yeah. And the other thing about, you know, the, the friends that we've made, you're getting ready to go to Louisiana and I'm going to end this podcast by talking about the sponsor, the partner. I'm sorry about this part, but it's what pays the bills. It's it, boys. We have some friends in Louisiana, the McGahees, the Brian and his brother, Gator, coolers g-a-t-r gator they brought you this podcast today 
This life ain't for everybody. They're huge supporters. We are in a long-term agreement with them. Look for some exciting new product coming out. Clay, you got to use the coolers this weekend at the Duck Club. I'm the the alligator handles, the, the the retention of the ice. Now, nobody's saying they're reinventing the wheel. We know that there's other yep. cooler companies out there. I love their story. I love their passion. I love their drive, their focus, their entrepreneurial spirit. Brian and his brother, they, they're oil-filled workers, just like you were. Right. They, if they joined you in camp this week, they yep. would fit in with fit all the right other in. Cajuns because they're right down there in Cajun country. Oh, yeah. Gator Coolers is responsible for today's episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. I was with my now good friend, Clay Charlton, who got to experience Nevada at its finest. Thank you, Canvasback Duck Club. Thank you, Dave and Katie Stanley, father and daughter duo that put on the kids' event. Having my daughter, my nephew, and all those kids out, 75. Les Nesbitt, Kirk Nesbitt, the boat rides, Dan Morgan, the food, everybody that made that event possible. Thank you to Jim Ray and Julie, who put on an extravagant dinner last night, that brisket off that Traeger and those ribs. What? I love when Clay Charlton goes, what? But everything that we just experienced, 24 or 48 hours isn't long, but we packed it in, and we're ending it with an awesome podcast, then sushi, then Lake Tahoe. Then my man is headed to New Orleans, Louisiana, Venice, Louisiana, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Lafayette, Louisiana. He's going to get after the speckles. He's going to get after the redfish. He's going on the ocean. He's already obligated and committed, and he agreed to send me some fresh tuna steaks. I'll be looking for my package in the mail. Again, Gator Coolers responsible for this episode, This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast. Please join us on the Outdoor Channel July 2nd, Season 10 of The Foul Life. Also, the TV.com new merchandise releasing so soon we have big announcements coming with federal with traeger with benelli with banded with edge boats edge duck boats with boss drives another louisiana based company um well i couldn't be more proud of our team of partners and sponsors big news coming from real tree camp that's getting ready to launch guys we're excited sweepstakes coming up contest coming up a chance to win hunts with the foul life Join us in camp and more big brands getting ready to be launched. So please pay attention. We're truly humbled by the support for the TV show, the podcast, our social media. If you see any changes that need to be made, don't be afraid to throw us a a personal message and tell us what you want to see. But until the next one, we do have some awesome guests coming up. I thank you, Clay. Crystal, can't wait to get back up to Alberta. Do you have any closing words? I just want to say this life ain't for everybody. The foul life, take them outfitters. It was a pleasure being here. Uh, Chad, thank you so much. Thank you, brother. I can't wait to do it again. Tom, please start that song. What you gonna do when... Come on, Clay, join me. What you gonna do when the money's all gone? Because I heard Leith Lofton last night. He's just like, God, I love him. Leith, we're gonna call you, buddy. We're gonna bring you up to Take Him Outfitters in Alberta. Pick that guitar a little bit, Hoss. This life ain't for everybody. I'm Chad Belling. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, everybody at Gator Coolers. I appreciate it. G-A-T-R. We out. Tom, play the song. Say life on earth won't last that long. What you gonna do when the money's all gone?